escape. You thought you were safe. But the Jalo Chow Chow podcast has returned. What have I done to you? What do you want from me? We want you to listen. We want you to subscribe. And we want you to join our Facebook group. Do you know how to do those things? I don't know. I don't know anything. Well then, it seems we have no choice. Ciao, ciao, everybody, and welcome to the uh, after Christmas edition of Jallo Chow Chow, the all Jallo show that makes you talk like this. <laughs> He's Matt Law, and I am Chris. And I don't reveal my last name on the podcast because it's not part of my marketing. But uh, hey, everybody, how's it going out there? Uh, welcome to episode five, um, where we go overboard with Freud. Um, I mean, where we cover in the folds of the flesh. I think yeah. this um, movie could also be called, oh, by the way, <laughs> or, and now for something completely different. <laughs> it could also be called, Let's all let's have all the characters stare at the camera at the same time in a medium shot where it almost looks like they're looking at the audience. Uh, and um, <laughs> I, I, I uh, oh, oh, that was I'm, I'm actually I have it on again, like just like in the background. Right. But um, this is also one of those amazing dubbed movies that um, like you don't know if there was actually like a script other than just plot points, right? Because a lot, because there are actresses in here who speak English and actors who speak Italian or Spanish. Cause it was an Italian Spanish co-production or whatever. Right. And there's times when someone will say something to somebody and the other person like starts talking on top of them because yeah. they don't know what their cues are. Right. And so the people doing the dubs just put in ridiculous um, transition lines like that are just so over the top. Right. Like um, what was a good one? Like, oh, that that was oh wait, what was it? He's like that was very good oh wonderful i have a drink or like there's but they're talking at the same time yeah yeah there's there's a scene where um the Falez character is is met up with um oh geez it's really hard for me to keep all the names straight <laughs> uh, 
the Felez character meets up with the guy who comes to pick up Michelle um, yeah. in the orange sweater. Yeah. And he offers her uh, or he asks for a cigarette and then oh she asks God. him if he wants a light for a cigarette. And he goes, no, I don't smoke. And then I think right after that, there's this thing where both of them are talking at the same time. Yeah, but like the thing, the thing with that cigarette, like that's another thing that was like, what the fuck are like, I could just see the people dubbing this going, what the fuck are we supposed to do here? Like, <laughs> she goes to light a cigarette, but then she doesn't light it. So why would that be? Well, let's come up with something. Oh, I collect people's packs of cigarettes. <laughs> like, what the fuck is that? Like, why would that even be written in a script? Like, why is that even a... Like, it has just no point whatsoever. And then they start walking away. And she's like, oh, yeah, come this way. I'm a, a very Casanova type guy. And I'm going to you know, you're going to see all the things that I could do. Like, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> right. Right. It, you, you, get, <sighs> you get the impression that it might be like a mystery science theater situation where, you know, they've just been, the, the voice actors have been given the film with no soundtrack. And yeah. maybe certain places there's a script written and other places there isn't. And they just have to improvise. So. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I wish if anyone listening to this is a hardcore fucker, which I know you guys are, if you're <laughs> listening to a podcast this far into the weeds. Okay. Um, there, I can't remember what documentary I watched where they interviewed all these um, voice dub actors Oh, right. And, and they were just talking about how I, I brought it up on the last episode, too. Yep. Like, they talk about how they would have no fucking idea what the hell the movie was about. And there would just be shots of people's mouths moving. <laughs> so they just were like, okay, let's start talking. Um, but yeah, I can't remember what that was. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so I don't know. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about what we've been doing the last? Yeah, the last sure. Um, what, what have you been up to? Oh, man. This is I the haven't... first time we've really talked in like months. Yes, in September. Um, yeah. I haven't been doing much of anything. I think like the rest of the world, I'm just kind of sitting here, you know, doing my thing. I haven't I haven't returned to the office in Philadelphia uh, since March and they're not. You know, they're saying we won't probably won't go back until July and it might be a, you know, a staggered kind of approach where not everybody goes back at, at the same time. And I'm kind of um, I'm I'm kind of uh, rallying for the the idea that maybe some of the people will be asked to to not ever come back to the office and I will volunteer for that category of people. But um, <laughs> it's been fine for me. I have uh, <clears throat> You know, I have a um, a good setup here, and I'm very fortunate, very lucky. Obviously, there's lots of people out there who are are having a real tough time this year, um, and I'm certainly not one of those people. Um, everybody's in my my family is healthy, but other than that, man, I haven't been. I, I can't. I mean, I just been taking care of my house and being a dad, like, and working and uh, watching a lot of TV and. That's it. The one thing I was going to bring up um, yesterday or the day before I watched 
for the second time, I watched the new Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Okay. And I had seen it once before. I saw it in the theater. And when I watched it a couple of days ago, I was really surprised at how much more I liked it. And there's a couple reasons for that. The first reason is that I think I expected the movie to have some sort of story that was a like central story where, you know, we're kind of all following it. And then I said, wait a minute, this is Tarantino. Why would I expect that? Um, but also the first time I went to see it, I was on a date and I think I was preoccupied the entire time with, was I going to get any or not? And I wasn't paying attention to the movie <laughs> as much as I should have. Um, oh, oh. but I so wanted, did you, did you use all the lines that the guy used in this movie? Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, just wait till later. I'm going to show you a thing or two. <laughs> Welcome to the passion play. Is it, isn't, wasn't there a scene where Michelle said he went to the porno convention in Amsterdam and he got that gold jewel? That's to what I thought he bubble? said too. But yeah. I'm like, that can't be what he said. I thought he said porn. And then you know they kept using the word titillate over and over and over again. Uh, oh, dude. <laughs> But anyway, the reason I bring that up is because, you know, we all know that Tarantino loves to reference, and this is probably the most, th- this film has so many references in it to like Hollywood and films and, and stuff like that. It's probably even, it's hard to count how many references there are to this thing, but there's one scene where the main character played by um, Leonardo DiCaprio eventually decides that he wants to be a leading man instead of a bad guy. And so he goes to Italy and um, films a whole bunch of like spaghetti Westerns and spaghetti whatevers. And they mention a few of the films that he's in, but then they reference this film called Operazione Dynamite, um, directed by Antonio Margariti. And of course, it's not a real film. Apparently, Tarantino used footage from the 1976 film called Moving Target, directed by Sergio Corbucci. I'm reading this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In order to, in order to show the scenes for that. But Antonio Margariti um, directed a film that we covered called Seven Deaths in a Cat's Eye. And so they must have decided to use his name and whether or not they had to pay him for it or not, but it was just really funny to see this movie poster, which I'll, you know, you can look it up. It's Operazione Dynamite with a, you know, with an exclamation point. And it's a picture of like Leo sitting with like one of these, um, oh, what the hell do they call those, those beret hat, not the beret hats the you know, the, the Italian hats. It's not, is it not a fedora? Cause those, the fedora is like a, like a detective's hat, right? Oh, an Italian hat. Yeah, it's got a name, I, I'm though. Just kidding. I don't know what it's you called. About. Um, <laughs> and he's, like, sitting behind this car, and it's uh, it's a movie poster. And it was really cool. Like, it just, it was a nice little reference to, like, all the stuff that that we all kind of, you know, that world that we all live in when yeah. we do the Jalo podcast was kind of, like, uh, self-referential in the film. But, uh, like I said, the second time through, I really liked it. Did you ever see that film? No, I haven't. Oh, I think you should. I think you should watch it. I think it's really good. Yeah, I've been wanting to. 
So what about uh, what's going on over in, in the, on the left coast there? On the left coast, um, I the reason why we haven't done an episode in forever is because I'll try to explain this very quickly, but we have um, 4G internet. Right. And it's basically like a device that has like a SIM card for a cell phone in it. Okay. And so um, we all use that. And um, it kind of sucks, but we're in the middle of nowhere. And there's only like one cell tower within like a gajillion miles. Wow. Um, So because of that, um, my daughter was homeschooled. Or not homeschooled, but, you know, like had to stay home and do school. Right. And so we have unlimited data, but it does throttle. Yeah, right. Um, Even though it's not supposed to, it just, it does. And sometimes, like, there'll be days when it just doesn't work at all. Um, And so because she was doing classes, um, I was also taking classes that were video classes um and because we were both doing it like just doing anything from like downloading a video to watch or um doing a skype call that lasts two hours or something like that was um taking up a lot or would take up a lot of the um shit we had to do the classes in the first place and the classes were killing the internet on top of anything else um like we could barely get like youtube videos to play um Mm. but yeah so i that's why I, i was just trying to save up as much um data for the class i was taking sure and the class i was taking was um, in professional wrestling. <laughs> so it was like psychology, um, booking, um, how to call a match. Uh, oh, not actually, you know, how to body slam somebody. Well, no, it was all of the shit that you would need to know from like talking to somebody. You okay. Know so the idea is once everything opens up again, I'm actually going to go in and start training. Wow. Cool. Uh, it was really fun. And they're doing another online class where I went and there's people from all over the world that do it. Um, so if, if anyone's interested, if you go to Santino bros.net, so like Santino brothers, but like super Mario brothers, um, right. SantinoBrothers.net or Bros.net. Um, they have the class that starts at the end of January. It's six weeks, um, and it's like three nights a week. And then um, there might be some little things because, like, there were some stuff we were doing with the group. Um, when we weren't in class and then we had to like cut promos and 
um, do stuff like that. It was just like the whole thing was amazing. And if you're like a fan of wrestling, even if you don't want to wrestle, but you just want to know the inner workings of how everything goes, um, I just I highly recommend it. It's it was wow. just so much fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I made uh, I made note of that uh, for the show notes, so we have it in there. Oh, sweet. A little, yeah, little yeah. plug for the Santino bros. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I've been listening to really old archives of the Howard Stern show from like the 90s. And I think they had shit. Now I'm never, I'm never going to be able to remember the dude's name. They had some oh, guy shit. on there um, that they interviewed and... Name, name, I'm not going to say name somebody because that's ridiculous. No, was uh, it Sheik? Was it? No, no, I, I remember him being on the show. I would remember him. Yeah, um, They had this one guy who, who had some sort of weird Tourette syndrome and he'd go, ah, uh, uh, like that. Um, but I don't know if that was his character or if he really had Tourette's in real that life. It's probably the character because I can't think of anyone that I know off the top of my head who has Tourette's. And then let me see if I can look it up real quick. Cause you know, what the hell? No, just we'll... tell me a little bit. Let me see if I could pull it out of my, it was about a guy. Well, that guy was, that guy is different than the one I was listening to re- recently. <laughs> um, like the, the, the one I re- recently watched or, or listened to was, let's see. Um, Mick Foley. Oh, Mick Foley is amazing. What, what was his uh, character? He was um, Cactus Jack, Mankind. Dude yeah, Mankind. Up. Okay. And he yeah. was talking about how he got his ear ripped off. Yeah. Because um, he was ropes. caught some sort of a net or a... No, no, no. Uh, they were in Germany, and it was him and Vader. And um, Vader threw him into the ropes. And then um, Foley used to do this thing where he would, like, grab the top rope and the middle rope and stick his head in between it when he was uh. going. And then jump over so the ropes would look like they're, like, suffocating them, like, trapping right. his neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in Germany, the ropes were a lot tighter, and they were cables and not ropes. So uh. when he came out of it, That's it right. his ear off. He was saying something about how they were just elevator cables yeah. wrapped in, in like in in some sort of material or something. Oh man! But that yeah, they, he said that uh, when when he called in. So this was, let's say, uh, November of two thousand was when he called in to oh, talk shit. about how he was uh, retiring or something like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think of the other guy. Um. Uh, let me think, uh, was it an ECW guy or a WWE guy or oh, the guy? Oh, it was gold dust. That's who it was. Oh, gold dust. Yeah. That was a great character. And he, he's the, he's the one that's going ah, uh, uh, like that. Like, <laughs> oh, he would just that ha- might have would... been during his FU forever unchained, um, bit where he was like dressing up as everybody and being like Dustin Rhodes says his name yeah it's Dusty Rhodes's kid the American dream that oh okay big dude and then Goldust was like 
a um it was supposed to play on like homophobia but he was supposed to look like a oscar statue right oh <laughs> and then, um once that ended he went really weird and started like painting like fu on his face because he broke up with his wife and it was supposed to stand for forever unchained but it said fu and that was like whatever and he would like dress up like different wrestlers but look like he was a gimp from pulp fiction or something oh right 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 like so he he's had like a couple different weird um stints but he's on aew now okay so um, i don't know what aew is that's the new the newer um, wrestling show that's like actual competition for WWE now. Um, the guy oh, who no. owns the Jacksonville Jaguars and um, some football club in England. I can't remember what it is, but um, he it's his wrestling company that he has shows on TNT and stuff now. Awesome. So there's a lot of um, there's more places to work now. Yeah. Well, getting back to what you were talking about earlier, is there no alternative for you guys to get like fiber or satellite internet from anywhere? Or is this like your only Um, only way of getting juice? We can get satellite, but from what I've researched, um, it's not really better for where we're at. Right. Um, and right. if anything, it would be better at times, but not all the time. So, yeah. like, when our internet's bad, it's just consistently bad. With satellite, like, we could have, like, perfect internet for, like, an hour and then have, like, absolutely nothing for, uh, like, two hours. Yeah. Um, but we're going to be moving so, oh, okay. um, hopefully by before summer, because summer is just too fucking hot here. So, summer is brutal. Yeah. You were saying yeah, this summer was just unfucking believable, super hot. Um, so yeah, that's that. That's oh, and then at. I, I guess, um, that's kind of all we've been doing, but, um, going into a top three, um, I thought I could just run into that real quick. You, well, you have to wait uh, one second so I can put the the transition music in there. Oh, shit. All right, it's done. That that oh. was amazing. Wasn't that great? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could just sing it. Do 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 do. I even put the, I even put those little segues in the three minute episode that I put out a couple weeks ago. Like we needed a segue. Normally the episodes are two hours long. Anyway. Okay. Right. So so you're, <clears throat> so your top three. Go ahead, sir. What I was gonna say. 
Um, we were talking about this earlier today, and um, I didn't have anything off the top of my head. But um, uh, I guess it was reported yesterday, or maybe the day before that. Um, and since I was talking about wrestling, um, John Huber, who was um, Luke Harper in WWE and Brody Lee in AEW, um, died from um, some, they're not saying what it is, um, but they're calling it a lung ailment. Mm. Um, and he was 41, but he was probably most famously known for being a part of the Wyatt family. And um, that was a great period um, in wrestling. So I wanted to do like... Um, my top three like monster heels. So, um, narrowing the, um, world further. What's a um, monster heel. I don't know what that is. A monster heel is like the bad guy who is so like vicious and horrible and like, can't be beat to the point where the big good guy, um, it doesn't really look like he's going to do it. And so right. like my number three and this order could change day by day, but like <laughs> probably the one that like hit me the most was um, when Andre the giant turned heel um, in 87 on Hulk Hogan and set up WrestleMania three, so which was so like the let me biggest let me, thing of all time. Let me interrupt just for a second. You, you're, yeah. you're saying H E E L, right? Not heal like I'm going to heal your your wounds. Oh, like a heel like the bottom of your shoe. Right. Oh yeah, because like the good guys are called baby faces and the bad guys are heels. Okay, like so a heel is like a jerk, like an asshole, like yeah. a heel, like the yeah. like the the connotation there. So I'm thinking like. Like potions to heal monsters. Yeah, I'm thinking like RPG, <laughs> like a monster. I, I, we need a monster heal on this on this boss fight right now. <laughs> Quick, someone get the Cyclops some Pepto. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, okay. Yeah, but so, I remember, I remember the Andre the Giant thing. Yeah, that was like that was like the biggest thing that ever happened. And um, if you were alive, and like could watch tv or like like if you were around in 87 like you knew that this was happening and um right. just that match was amazing i thought hulk was gonna get killed everybody probably didn't but i did <laughs> and just all the work he did um andre the giant did through um basically 89 um was just brilliant um the main event um on nbc where uh he beat hogan and got the title and then gave it to ted dibiase because he was bought and then it turns out that the refs um they paid a ref to get plastic surgery to look like the other ref so these two identical refs are standing out there arguing and hulk doesn't know what's going on just the whole thing was just pure fucking chaos. And, <laughs> um, so that is just always going to be like one of my favorites. Um, 
My number two would probably be Kane, um, who uh, had this huge six-month build where you didn't know who he was or what he looked like, but there was this story that Undertaker killed his family and his brother, but it turns out that his brother wasn't dead. And so at the um, 97 Bad Blood pay-per-view, Paul Bearer came out with Kane during Undertaker and Shawn Michaels Hell in a Cell match. And Kane just fucking looked like a superhero villain, like full red and black costume with the mask and the hair. And he fucking rips the door off the cage and um, fire shoots up in the air and shit. It's like (laughs) he got me back into wrestling. Okay. Like that was like, I was like, holy shit, this is like, if you could like take like every slasher villain and put them together, right? This is fucking cool. And I was down. So he would be my number two. And then my number, oh, go ahead. Real quick commentary. I remember hearing about somebody named The Undertaker, but I never heard of anybody named Paul Bearer. Although I know there's a death metal band called Paul Bearer. Uh, Paul Bear was Undertaker's uh, manager slash dad. Um, a bunch of stuff came out, but um, Undertaker, uh, like he came around. I guess it was like ninety, nineteen ninety, um, and he he came out with Brother Love. It was really lame, and then uh, a couple months later, they're like, let's put Percy Pringle and some scary makeup and have him talk like this. (laughs) And um, he carried the urn around that held Undertaker's power. Um, Just great theatrical nonsense. Right, right. Um, But yeah, and then it was like Kane was his half-brother and um, there was all this shit that happened at the mortuary when they were kids and um, all sorts of stuff. Like just awesome shit because 95 was a really bad year and a lot of people fell off right and if i would have just stuck with it for like another seven or eight months i would have hit right at the peak of just the second big wrestling boom of my life you know i missed a lot of it um came back kind of late to the party Mm. um but then my number one would be um, Kamala, the Ugandan giant, who um, scared the shit out of me as a kid. Um, he was supposedly this cannibal that they brought in from Uganda who didn't really understand how to wrestle or how to do anything. And if he, like, cut somebody and they were, like, bleeding in the ring, he would start, like, licking the blood off of them and, like, licking his fingers, and he would, like, pat his belly. Like, if you don't know what Kamala looks like, look it up, but um, that was just, like, a huge part of my childhood. Like, he would come on the TV and I would cower. I would, you'd be, like... You'd be scared to death. Yeah. Yeah. Terrified. But, like, I always wanted to watch him. Like, if he was on, I was watching, but I was watching from behind the couch. Right, right, like, right. looking sure. over. Um... But he just died this summer from COVID. And um, that really upset me, like, a lot. Um, That was probably one of the hardest 
wrestling deaths that uh, I've had, and there and this year that was full of them. Yeah, it, this was a horrible fucking year for that. But um, yeah, so those are my favorite monster heels. That's so there you go. That's very interesting. I'm looking at a picture of Kamala, <clears throat> and it's ironic because. He's wearing a Kamala for president 2020. And then, of course, we have Kamala, the vice president. The funniest thing is, is that his name is, um, what's his first name? Um, But his last name is James Harris. James Harris, yeah. Yeah. So his name is Kamala Harris. (laughs) (laughs) No relation. No relation. Yeah, no relation. And the thing is, like in that picture, he has no legs because um, he had his legs amputated. Oh, okay. So that sucks. Yeah. But um, when he died, I fucking lost it, and I was like posting on Facebook, like R.I.P. Kamala, um, Kamala, <laughs> Kamala Harris. Harris. Yeah, and all these people were like, "What the fuck?" Like. How? What? What are you talking about? And I'm like, <laughs> and then I even because I was just a wreck that night. I'm not gonna lie. That's and I started tweeting, "Trump killed Kamala," because <laughs> he died of COVID. And so everyone's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And I'm like, oh "What God. the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, I know what you when you were talking about Kamala and how scared you were when Kamala came out. I can share a similar story, um, and now I'm dating myself, but when I was a kid, I used to watch The Electric Company, uh, and Morgan Friedman used to play Dracula on The Electric Company, and he scared the shit out of me. Every time he would come on, and he would like open his mouth and show those fangs, and then he'd raise his arms up with the cape, man, I head for the fucking hills. It was so goddamn scary. And if you look it up now, it's still friggin' scary. <laughs> Dude, that's so funny. Because, like, um, when I was <clears throat> little, I mean, I had to have been, like, three. I had um, well, my little action figures. I had my little um, Incredible Hulk and Spider-Man. And I would, like, want to watch Incredible Hulk. That's the right. TV show. And my parents were always like, no, we're not going to watch it because you freak out. I'm like, no, we got to watch it. We have to watch it. And so they would put it on. And he's like, um, like, oh, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And I'd go, yeah. oh, no. Oh, no. Don't do it. And I'd start screaming at the TV like to the guy, like, you're not going to like it. Don't do it. And then um, <laughs> he would turn. And as soon as he would start to turn, I would scream and cry and run run into a completely different room and hide under a table yeah. and just lay there crying yep. and say, let me know when it's done, when it's done. Like, and so they would have to come and tell me after he went away, when the incredible Hulk went away. And then oh. I would go back in and wipe my eyes and be like, Oh, okay, let's see what Mr. Banner does now. <laughs> but like I had to watch it. You always had to watch it. Right. <clears throat> yeah. You knew it was bad for you. Uh, you watched it anyway. Fucking Lou Frig now. Yeah. Oh. All right. So. Well, that was good, man. <laughs> um, that was a good top three. I, I, I have to admit that 
uh, going in, I, I probably didn't know that I could relate to very much of it, but uh, I was able to. So that was great. Very nice. After we get to the point where we're done with 1970, I think it would be interesting to go back and go and do Bird with Crystal Plumage again. Um, primarily because that was the very first, first episode, one. the yeah. first film you guys did. And you didn't like it very much at the time. And um, I wasn't part of the podcast back then. So. Um, if we're close, you know, once we close out 1970, of which Bird was the obviously quintessential film from that year, yeah. um, we should probably go back and cover it. But you know, I'm I'm jumping ahead because we've got uh, three or four in 1970 to to still cover, including this one. Um, so we'll see how it goes. We'll see how 2021 pans out. But anyway, let's talk about this film called In the Folds of the Flesh. What has been remains. Remains! Remains! Embedded in the brain, nestled in the folds of the flesh, distorted, it conditions and subconsciously impels. So I don't know if you want to give us some background. <laughs> well, you you probably will not believe this, but I tried to do a bunch of research on this thing. It was filmed supposedly in Rome, which okay. I don't believe. Um, that's just me. I, I, I think the interiors were right. on um, a studio set in Rome. Okay. Uh, the rest of it, I don't know. Um, there are people in this movie that I've seen in a million different movies. Yeah. Uh, and the, the... What did they keep referring to where the house was located? Was it Zurich? They said... I, they said Zurich once, I think, when they were talking about uh, um, getting a flight. Yeah. Um, but I have no idea. It doesn't look like Zurich. Yeah, but how, I don't know how you could even tell. Like the whole movie takes place in on the on the grounds and in the castle. So, well, you have this castle on the beach, and um, I'm like sitting here going, "Why would this be in Rome? Like it looks more Spanish than." Yes anything else but the other thing is like and i'm sure we'll talk about it but like for the first probably 30 minutes of this movie they make a lot out of the fact that there's a train that goes by 
Yes. But then they just like a lot of stuff in this movie, just like, like eh. they just throw it away. Yeah. Let's not talk yeah. about this anymore. Let's not worry about but, the train. Uh, I think it was supposed to be some sort of a way for you to. I thought it was a, a trigger so, a, girl I, to like start like losing her shit. I was thinking like maybe it had something to do with a timestamp in, in a, in a, in a way where you, couldn't do a timestamp in other any other way. Like, okay, oh, that was the night that the train went by, you know. Yeah. Um, and they because because this movie has so many flashbacks, um, and the flashbacks like part of it is unreliable narrator type flashbacks. I think, unless I just totally misunderstood the film, but um, yeah. The, the but train... at the same time, I think it depends on who's having the flashback. Oh and yeah, yeah, like, okay. We're we're fucking this up already. Like basically <laughs> this movie is very confusing. Yeah. Um and we're going to tell you everything that happens in it and you still aren't going to fucking understand what the fuck we're talking about. So even if you haven't seen this, you could probably listen to this completely, then go watch the movie and none of it will be ruined for you. And still be surprised, <laughs> right? <laughs> You're going to be surprised. Every five minutes after the 45 minute mark, I'm just going to say <laughs> that will be a legit thing that happens to you. No, and you know what? And, and what you're saying is so true because this is about, about an hour ago. I completed the third, my third time through this film. The, the first time was about, oh, geez, man, probably 15 years ago I watched it. Um, I think I might have it on DVD somewhere. Um, which is, would be interesting because the, um, not to cut you off here, but I just want to get this out because it's about to happen. I have it playing in the background. This is my third viewing of it. Just trying okay. to see if I could like pick out little things. Um, but the most, together cut of the movie is supposed to be um 87 minute and this cut is an hour and 32 minutes so okay. that would be 87 minutes um be, but there's this part in the movie where <clears throat> there is a weird cut during the um I'll bring it up when we get to it, I guess. I think an, an hour yes. and 32 would be 92 minutes, wouldn't it? Oh, you're correct. Yeah, that but, is right. You know, but part of this is because of the time changes, like the, the, oh, the, the PAL, NTSC. PAL versus NTSC transfers. To some of that well, shit there happens. was a cut in the movie in this version that looks like something isn't right. Like it cuts and fades. It doesn't fade to black. It just cuts to black. Mm. And then there's like a green streak at the top. Oh, and okay. it comes back. <clears throat> and there's a so lot of, lot of things in the movie that, that don't seem right. Yeah. There's honest. continuity errors for sure. <laughs> um, like right now, this guy from Jefferson airplane smoking, a 
like a crack pipe or something. Oh and my god, dude! Can we we gotta it talk goes about to him. Shot. <laughs> it goes to another shot, and there's no pipe in his hand. I can't wait that to talk about his, that dude's outfits, dude. Like, okay, um, I don't know. This is this is what I'll say. This <laughs> movie is a perfect example of the things I love. And the things I hate. Yeah, 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 like, exactly. I love, like, the post, or not post, but, like, mid-century modern kind of shit. And I hate the Baroque, right. like, shit. And this takes yeah. place in a castle, so the setting's kind of weird. But there's a bunch of modern shit in it. But at the same time, there's a bunch of other shit in it. And it goes even into the clothes where, like, uh, Felezzi or whatever her name is, I can't remember. She'll, she changes her outfit in every scene. Like, if she walks right. into a room, she yeah. has a full wardrobe change. And she might even change her wig. Like, Absolutely. it's amazing. I love it. But half the shit she puts on is fucking god-awful. Yep. And it's like, why... When you had on something so fucking amazing, <laughs> did you go and kill your grandma's couch and make a fucking coat out of it? Like, <laughs> I don't understand what you're trying to do. And the fucking uh, Colin, he Ugh. is like, I saw a, a, an eight millimeter film of things that happened in San Francisco in 1968, and I'm going to base my whole fucking life off of that. It's like... <laughs> It's just <laughs> awful. And even like the main chick, she'll be wearing something great. And like in this scene right here, she's wearing these like long white sleeves. And then at yeah. the elbow, and they're all tight. But then at the elbow, it like poofs out like a mushroom. <laughs> Not a mushroom, like a, like a marshmallow. Like it flares out. And yeah. she just, but like, it flares out from her elbow and then tight again on her wrist. Like elastic on her elbow and wrist. Like she's uh, oh. at the bank or it's something. It's like the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. Yeah, this is worse. And <laughs> but like, like, yeah, the stuff Colin wears is just like, Ooh. like how did like I I know those shirts were popular amongst a very small community of people for a very short window. In like the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, but but he doesn't wear that shit well. No, he looks like a total dude. Where would he? He's in a castle in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and probably has never seen another human being in the last thirteen years, which they like to throw out every five seconds. Thirteen years, yeah. Thirteen years, and but then like they have these awesome like little fake walls, like the. Like the let go of my ego, like blue plastic um, cheese grater walls that mm. he looks through and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Right. But then in the background, there's some fucking old tacky ass fucking like pilgrim fucking quilt or something. And then there's other scenes where there's like big bulb, like bowl lights on a table that are just ridiculous lights. That why would they even have it here? Yes. And then like next to it would be like a uh, antique chair. It, it's just like the the mind reels 
It's a it, hodgepodge, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay, hey, but let's right. just let's just go for it. Start from well, the beginning. Well, it's it's important that you bring this up because you know the commentary about. Um, and I, and I thought of the same thing when I'm watching it, it's like they, when I was watching it, it, it was almost as if they just threw up on, on the set Yeah, and, and didn't, didn't really, didn't really think about negative space or any t- sort of decorative theme. No. Um, it was, it was all over the place. Like you said, it was the Baroque, the modern, um, you know, the, that, that big dome light with the red base. Oh, it's amazing! But like, what the <laughs> fuck is it doing there? It's not. It's not serving any purpose there. Exactly. Oh, I know, I thing, know. Like, I'm looking at it right now, and they have all these like facade walls that are like hip and modern. Yeah. But like, they'll shoot it from an angle to where you could see that there's like a, at least another six feet before the ceiling, and the wall just like cuts off at like head level. <laughs> it's. It's just bizarre. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, if you're going to throw all this shit together, like how come they're not hiding the fact that it's not supposed to be there? And then I'm like, was that a thing? Like <clears throat> fake walls? Like did people just like have fake walls in their house? Like to like break up a room to make it smaller? Well, I mean, I remember when I was a kid in the seventies, they used to have those beads that would hang from the ceiling that they yeah. would, instead of a door. Yeah. Uh, and that's cool. And, and that, that makes noise. Yeah. And that's probably, you know, kind of like the, the, the evolution of, of what you're talking about, where they actually went to the, to the, to the effort, you know, they, they went, to, they, they made the effort to, to erect like half a wall, that looked kind of like that, but just for the sake of, but it's like, they're, they're making a wall that, and I was like, is it a privacy thing? And then I'm looking at it. I'm like, no, you could see through it. It's like right. a checker plastic checkerboard. Or yeah. I, I, I mean, if you're, if you're living in the fictitious world of this family, it's in there because it looks cool. But for the sake of the film, it's, it's a way where they can shine the light on it and it reflects in a shadow that gives you. Oh a yeah. The shadows on it. Great. Yeah. So the funniest thing about that chick's room is that she has like an encyclopedia Britannica set and a TV from like <laughs> 1950. And it just like, like everything looks so hip and modern and cool. And then like, you see this like old encyclopedia set and a fucking TV that, um oh god we're, we're i'm on this i'm at the scene where there's a um asylum that looks like any other room in this house oh, and it took me the whole fucking scene before i realized that they weren't at the house i thought they were having a party i didn't even realize these people were crazy i just thought they were like artsy i'm like oh wow you're right exactly they're not that far off from what colin is doing because they're dressed wonderfully <laughs> Like, I don't think they would let these, like, if these people are, like, insane, they wouldn't give them, like, chain necklaces and big belts. Yeah, right. Like, um, but man, there are some boots in this movie. Jesus. And that one woman is walking around the asylum reading the, the, the night before Christmas. I don't know if you you picked that out. Yeah, that was, that was weird. Um, 
Yeah. I, so. I was just like, this is like a party from hell. And if you look, the girl was sitting on the same fucking... Yeah, this is the same house. Um, you know that yellow <laughs> porch swing that is in outside? Yes, yes. Okay. It's the, in their fake outside. Yeah, the blonde... When the, she's like, oh, there she is, right there. And points to, like, 80 fucking girls. But she's sitting on that fucking yellow swing. Yellow yes. canopy swing. And then gets up and walks in. So, yeah. Um, might not want to use something so fucking sticking out like a sore thumb. If you're trying to hide the fact that you're double locationing. <laughs> God, why is she wearing that? Okay, yeah, we need to just get into this film because, yeah, like, this is not uh, scene by scene. Com- this is not a running commentary, unfortunately. All right, so okay, nineteen seventy in the folds of the flesh. We have characters. I'll introduce the characters as we go along. So the opening scene is very effective, I think. At least for me, it was. Uh, we start out with this weird saying that's apparently, you know, credited to Freud at some point, but they don't. They don't give him credit in the in the opening um, frame, and then we go immediately to the lightning. Um, we might have see the train at that point, but if not, we go right to the severed head. And there's a lot of severed heads in this movie, and they all look terrible. The opening scene is crazy. We got the severed head. We got the family looking ominous. Yeah. The train goes by. We got a car chase. We got a motorcycle. Um, we've got an unmanned boat. We have vultures in a cage, uh, which I didn't really pick out that they were vultures until they, you know, explain that later. Yeah, um, it checks all the boxes. <laughs> we got a corpse buried in the yard. We got an escaped convict. Um, eventually, the cops come and find him, and and uh, they tell this woman who is uh, this woman. It looks as if. In order to kind of clean up this crime scene, she has decided to take the body out into the yard and bury it. Meanwhile, there's this weird-looking Italian version of um, Bluto from Popeye who's trying to escape on a a motorcycle. And um, he's he's on the beach, and we see um, Lucille, right? That's the the mother character, Lucille. Yeah. Starts up this boat and um, sends it off into sea, unmanned. The the cops f- come and uh, find this guy, whose name will all eventually be revealed as Pascal. Um, and uh, then we get the credits. No, we don't get the. Do we get the credit sequence at that point? Uh, yeah, we get the credit sequence at that point. So, yeah. Um, the only thing I want to add is that the um, the the day for night shooting they did on this for me was so fucking dark yeah it was like uh it was bad and um like we'll we'll find out why things happened the way they did i guess so um, There there were a couple of times during those day for night scenes that i could see clouds in the sky yeah, if and, you could see clouds in the sky, and if a car with headlights on doesn't have like a beam of light in front of it, you just yeah. see that the lights on. Um, it's really bad. So like, what there's we, ways to hide that kind of shit. 
And what, so what did they do in those situations? Did they basically try to affect the film in a way to make it look dark, even though they were filming at night or, or I mean, during the day, or did they, a film lot of times highlight you, you, you wait. Um, typically I think, um, you're supposed to wait until like kind of a twilighty time. But right, from right. what this looks like, it looks like they just like, um, turned the, the amount of light that comes in the Got lens. It. They just turned that down. I see. So it wasn't pulling in a bunch of light and it's just dark. It's just dark, but like you see light reflecting on everything. So it can't be yeah. as dark as it looks. Yeah, because, I mean, if we compare that to another Jalo, the, the, the one that comes to mind first for me um, is the fifth chord. And, of course, that was, um, that was filmed by a, a very uh, accomplished cinematographer, the guy who did Bird with the Crystal Plumage, but also I think the guy who did something that won an Oscar. I can't remember what it was. Maybe uh, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly or something like that. Um, uh, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse Now. There you go. Yeah. Um, so if you watch those scenes, they do the same kind of day for night. But in the film, it's all about how they were out late and it's New Year's Eve. And now it's Happy New Year. And, you know, they've been out for a long night of drinking and they're going back to their cars and going home. So that that sky that's kind of dark blue, it could almost work because it's like the sun's starting to come up. You know, they've been out all night. Um, but I have to go back and look at the scene specifically from a technical standpoint to see if they did enough to make it look like it was supposed to be during the nighttime or if they really were trying to give you this, hey, the sun is coming up, it's dawn, and that's why it looks this way. Well, but, Mario Mario Bava does it a lot. Like, mm -hmm. um, in uh, Bay of Blood and yeah. Five Dolls. Um, and sometimes it's better than others, but you could tell which movies, like, he was rushing. Like, okay. he didn't have a whole lot of time because, like, I mean, it, it's not as bad as this. This is, like, some of the worst day for night. And they don't just do it one time. They do <laughs> it, like, three times, I think, throughout the movie. It's just, ugh. It's really hard to watch. I had no fucking idea what was going on the first <laughs> time I was watching it. Yeah, it's it's one of those it's one of those things, and we see this in a lot of Jolly, where um, and and I'm 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 interrupting my own train of thought, but you kind of have to wonder why the filmmakers would do something like this because if I understand the culture correctly, for when these movies came out people didn't necessarily pay attention to these movies very, very um, intently. And maybe they even came into the movie, you know, in the middle and they didn't even see the beginning. So to make a scene and they do this a lot in Jolly to make a scene where everything that happens within the first, say two to three minutes is then scrutinized throughout the rest of the movie. And the, you know, obviously the Argento trope of, you know, something happened. What did I see? Let me, you know, go back and um, re re reanalyze it, you know, analyze it over and over again in my head. But this one is like, this is this is the most important scene of the film. And it happens right in the beginning. It's like, well, whose head is that? Who cut off the head? 
Why was it buried? Who's the guy who was coming on the motorcycle? Like, at first, I thought that he was the killer. At first, I thought, okay, somebody chopped off this person's head, and now the guy is escaping because he See, chopped off the person's head. I, I put it together that it was just, oh, by the way, there's an escaped lunatic heading your way. Like, <laughs> I, I, I got that, okay. But to answer your question about why shit's done like that, it's just cheaper. Like, getting a bunch of lights out, and getting people to run the lights and to do all that shit to shoot at night is right. really expensive. Like, yeah. the, the number of people you have to have on set just to do something simple sh- totally shoots up. And the, uh, the cost of lighting goes up. Lights are not cheap. Um, so if you just have a camera and you could just go out and just, like, darken it up later... Or darken it up right then by just like not letting a lot of light in, right? And get away with it, just get away with it. But what I, but what I guess my question is, why do they introduce such a complex um, narrative at the very beginning of the movie that becomes this, you know, quintessential scene by which the rest of the movie continues to expand upon? And if you came in late. Or if you weren't paying attention because you were talking to your buddy and you didn't even watch it, then, you know, it's kind of lost on you that, hey, we're, we're going to set up all these clues with the severed heads and the family and the train going by and the guy on the boat or the, or the boat going out with nobody on it and so on and so forth. And then we're going to explain that over the next, you know, hour and a half. Well, um, the, the thing about that that is, makes it even weirder is that that's not even the main plot of the movie. No. Like, that dude <laughs> and him, like, <laughs> watching, like, like as soon as you see that he sees her doing something bad and he's a bad guy, like, you put together pretty quickly, this is going to come back and haunt her. Yeah, yeah. You know what, what I'm saying? <laughs> but the what? thing is, is that normally, in, in any other movie you would ever see, that would be the plot of the fucking movie. Right. These people said, you know what? Fuck that. We're going to make 17 more plots and none of them are going to make any fucking sense, but we're going to trick people into thinking that this is the plot of the movie. Yeah. And that's where things just go bonzo crazy. Well, it's such a great point because you're right. I mean, when they, when they, when they do so much establishing with that opening scene and go to, I mean, that was probably the most produced scene in the whole movie uh, with all the stuff going on and the car chasing and this and that and this and the, and the, the visual effects and blah, 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 whatever they were. Um, and to have that not even really be what the movie's about or what the whole point is about. Well, we'll get, we'll get to it. We'll get to that part, but yeah, yeah. it's a good, it's a good point that they, that they did all that work to to push for forward nothing. a plot point that yeah for, to push a plot point for that really didn't matter. But anyway, okay, so we go to the credit sequence, which I liked. It was basically a bunch of tie dye paint swirls going around in spirals. It was like the dude, one of the dude's shirts, and he like fucking puked on himself. Right, right, yeah. and that um, it's a you know you can see um. I think you can tell from the credit sequence that we're talking about Spanish and Italian co-production. Um, 
the uh, the the music, the score and music composer is credited for Jesus Via Rojo, um, which doesn't even sound like a real name. Yeah, um, and I honestly think a lot of the music that's in this is pulled from other stuff, and, and it's uh, terrible. Yeah, it's not. I good. hated and the fucking. That's music. the other thing too, because not only is it terrible and pulled from other stuff, but there's no through line. Like it all sounds like, like a compilation your deaf grandma made for you. Yeah. Like a bunch of songs that don't match anything. Like right. they don't. It, it's like they they don't match each other, and most of the time they don't even match the scene they're in. Correct. Um, but there's a couple of death scenes where I swear to God the music is either from one of the Frankenstein movies or mm. from future from the black lagoon. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, wait a minute here. Like, well, no, it's, it's just that it's that one like dissonant chord that they keep just kind of pulsing like, wah, 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 and it's like, it's mostly like trumpets and stuff. Um, but, he, but I noticed that like there's, so there's a scene and we're jumping ahead, but there's a scene where, um, what the hell's his name? Uh, Pascal decides to take a bath, and I don't want to even start to talk about that yet. But yeah, seen oh. when he's taking his bath, and Colin is looking in the window, and so as, when they, you, when they, as you do when when, <laughs> when they have the camera on Pascal in the bathtub, they're playing his little theme music, and then as soon as they cut to Colin looking at him, they switch the music to that wah, 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 and then they switch back to him and they play the music again. It's just like, <clears throat> it, it, you know, the, this is one of those most, movies where the most lively music in the whole movie <laughs> is when Pascal's taking a bath. <laughs> it's <laughs> like he's having a fucking party, but it's the it, same. It's the same music <clears throat> that he puts on after they come in from the first time that they're digging and he puts the record on. It's the same music, I think. Oh, but um, I don't know uh, if it is. Is it? Uh, I think it is because I I I noticed that music when he put it on. I'm like, this is. He's like, okay, well, I want to listen to a little music and and relax and get down and have a drink. And the music that he puts on, you know, I was expecting some sort of like you know psychedelic, jazzy, weird bossa nova kind of music that you'd come to normally expect in a giallo, and this was like something else completely i yeah i have to go back and listen to it again but it didn't make any sense but uh i thought that i thought maybe that was going to be his theme because they played and again again, this this might be 1970 because this is the beginning of um a lot of tropes because like even if we were looking at um perversion story Right. The music of that, I think, I think you kind of like it. I thought I fucking hate that music. It's it's annoying but, to a certain extent because it's really yeah. loud and brash and ecstatic. Yeah. Um, but it's well played and it's well composed. And if, I think if it's you're into that kind better. of music. Yeah. Yeah. But like the whole like bossa nova thing, I don't think has taken shape yet. Like, yeah, it probably hasn't. You're probably right. Yep. But like. Yeah, because, I mean, if you think about the most popular giallo from this time period, which was Bird, um, it's all Ennio Morricone, like, theme mood pieces. Yeah. Like, there's, there's not a lot of, like, songs. Like, if you compare that to the main theme from Case of the Bloody Iris, 
I think that's a Bruno Nicolai composition. Yeah. That's got that friggin' yeah, baby, Austin Powers kind of vibe to it. Yeah. Um, which is <laughs> stupid because Austin Powers vibe really is a, a reference to a, a, a bygone era, but I yeah. reference it back to Austin Powers, which is kind of stupid, but that's because I'm but like I'm even an exer. So. And like the strip nude for your killer theme. Mm-hmm. Like, I always go to that. It's like, you know, yeah, like, yep, yep. it's just like, it's swinging fucking sounds, baby. You know what that, I'm saying? That, but now we're talking about, <laughs> are we talking about 71, 72, 73? And you can already see, and I'm glad you brought this up because we're trying to, we're trying to look at these films and, and give it somewhat of a historical context. We're trying to establish a fucking pattern here, folks. Pattern. Because these movies end up being completely cookie cutter because the people who made them were journeymen. <laughs> so, like, this is all like the Wild West right here. People are throwing shit at the wall trying to see what sticks. Right. Right. Now, now you know what? It's funny. Um... I just thought of something. Uh, there was another movie called um, Slaughter Hotel. Uh, we covered. Yeah. <laughs> this movie reminds me of that one. And I wanted to see, okay, so Slaughter Hotel was 1971. Like some of that gothic stuff yeah. where it's still kind of like um, Slaughter Hotel was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of like wacky women in this in this crazy asylum for for well i bet some women from this movie are in that i was trying to look up some shit like um <laughs> like i know the guy um he'll come up later but there's a guy in it that you'll recognize from um almost human um or short night of glass dolls um and there's a girl in this movie that isn't credited for some stupid fucking reason. Oh, no, I did find her. I know who you're talking about. Oh, the you one, found her? The one who's the I real... The one who's the real Esther. The, or not the, the real Esther, the other the one. The real Slim Shady. <laughs> the real Felice. Or okay, Felice. Hey, who is she? Um, She wasn't known for anything, honestly. I no, thought dude, I've seen I her in something. I thought she looked interesting. Her name is Giancarlo Sisti, which is actually a guy's name. Wait, I'm looking at the wrong guy. Wait, hold on, everybody. <laughs> her name hold is on everybody. Too much. Because uh, I, I thought I found it. her, and it ended up being the uh, doctor. Because oh. the doctor has like oh, wait, four lines in the movie. Maria Rosa. She's Spanish. Maria Rosa. Scaluzero. If you look her up, you'll see there's a picture of her. And normally she has brown hair. And she's probably like the most attractive actor in the entire film. Yeah. Um, now what was she in? Let's see. Uh in the folds of the flesh, obviously. Um, she only has five credits at the moment. So maybe whatever it was that you saw her in is not on IMDB, but she only has you know, uh, something called La Revolucione Sezuale from 1968, The Violent Four from 1968. Oh. Uh, 
and something called Avanti in 1972, which I think is a comedy. But anyway, we'll, we'll figure it out. But the girl who plays the other um, Leza Feza Leza, what is her fucking name, dude? <laughs> um, the one who plays. Uh, so it's uh, OK. So maybe we can introduce the characters. Um, we have uh, Lucille, who's the mother. Lucille. Okay. We have we have Falaise, who's Falaise? the who's the daughter of the Mr. So it's, A. So it's Lucille's husband. No, 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 no. Lucille's the, daughter. This right? is why it's weird because Lucille is the um, what do you call it? Countess. The what were countess. they calling her? What it's were they calling her at the end? Governess. The governess. Thank you. I was yeah. going to say au pair. <laughs> au pair. Um, governess, so she, right. She's the au pair. And the funny thing is, the second time watching this, you hear these things, but they're in passing. So I had no, like when they're talking to Michelle. Yeah. Like um, Michelle is a cousin of Felice, but not related to Colin. Right, right, right. And I'm like, oh, wait, huh? And it took me a second, but like they explain everything very briefly in the very beginning of this movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Colin is the governess's son. Yes. And um, Felice is... Felice or Felez. Um, and then I guess we could talk about the rest of that. That's uh, well, so it's the, later. so the I guess you want to call him the master of the house at this point. Who Andre? Andre. So, like the, the master of the house who's missing, and we don't know if he's dead or not. Well, it's his daughter is Felice. All of us thought he was dead. <clears throat> but I thought that Lucille. The mother of Colin is married to the guy who eventually comes back at the end. That's what I thought during the first viewing of this. Okay, but maybe not. And the second viewing, it didn't seem, it seemed like she was more of like his servant. Okay. So if you kind of have to understand maybe how the culture and the patriarchy worked at that time period for that area to understand all this shit, because like I said, in the beginning, I thought it was just one big family. That's what I thought. Lucia was the mother. Feliz was the daughter. Colin was the, uh, was the, was the brother or the, the son, son. which made it weird for me initially because they were doing the incest thing. And then later on in the movie, you realize that they're not actually related. And so it's not really incest. And then you realize at the very end that they are related and it is incest, but yeah. But the thing is, is that there were secrets kept from Felice and different secrets kept from Colin. Right. So did Colin think that that was his sister or did Felice think that that was her brother? No, I think that they, so, so if this woman who ultimately gets revealed as Esther, who is Lucille's daughter, no. Yeah. Lucille's yeah. daughter, but yeah. was initially established as Felice, which is, yeah. uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. A's daughter. Yeah. So if that's the case, then 
Felice, the wrong Felice, has been growing up thinking she's Felice, and Colin is not her brother. Because Colin exactly. is the governess's son. Yeah, but I think Colin knows that Felice isn't really Felice because Felice is fucking crazy. Yeah, but maybe so, like that's the reason why Lucille gets so uncomfortable when they start fooling around because she she knows that they're actually brother and sister and she doesn't say anything. She can't say anything because that would reveal. But here's them. the thing. <laughs> Esther and Felice grew up together just like Colin did. Right. So Colin had to have known both of them. Colin didn't go crazy. Esther and um, Felice went crazy to the they point. Where they, yeah. Right. So Colin should know that that's his sister. Do you see what I'm saying? Well, unless it just was never revealed to him on purpose. Like if it was, if it was, kept how, from, if it was kept from him on purpose, maybe. But how could it have been kept from him? He was alive during this whole thing. He was like watching from the window. Right. Yeah, and he's a very weird-looking little kid in that movie. Oh my fucking god, dude! <laughs> it's like someone let sloth out of the basement. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well. Not to change the subject completely, but the woman who plays the fake Felice, real Esther, her yeah. name is Pierre Angeli, and she died very soon after this movie. Yeah, um, she oh, had a, she she had the barbiturate overdose. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, she was thirty nine years old. But the thing that I thought was weird, she won a was, Golden Globe. Yeah. And not only that, but she had an identical twin that was oh, also wow. wanting to be an actress. Huh. So I don't know if that means her sister was also an actress, and that's why she looks familiar. Yeah, that's really yeah, that's really interesting. It's an interesting backstory because she, she was- wanted she wanted to be like a huge Hollywood actress, moved to Hollywood, couldn't get any fucking work really. Um. And killed herself. But she was, wasn't she married to somebody who was important? Yeah, she had, I think, two or three different husbands. Okay. But yeah. Producer types. It's really interesting that she, you know, she did this movie and maybe a year later she was dead of an overdose. Well, anyway, um, getting back to the film itself. This um, movie might have pushed her over the edge, dude. <laughs> I don't see why a little too close to home. I'm pretending to be somebody else. I have a twin sister. Don't you understand this? (laughs) I'm in love with my brother. So we've established the characters, you know, even though we, you know, you and I have just talked about the characters. So we kind of established everything. The next scene immediately after the credits are done is Michelle shows up and he introduces himself as uh, the cousin. But again, that's why I was confused because I thought he was introducing himself as uh, whose cousin is he? Is he, he's a cousin of Andre's he's Andre's cousin, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything to Lucille because she's just the governess. Yeah. But gotcha. She recognizes him. Sort of. She talks to him like she knows who he is a little bit. I think, I think your interpretation is good though, because like, 
the way that she reacts to all the shit that happens is not the way you would expect her to react if she was the wife. Yeah, and I think a lot of this is is because we don't find this out until way later, but I think it's important to know now that Mr. A, Mr. Andre, is like the head of like an organized crime family. Right, exactly. And if like you don't well we don't know that watching it, but when you already know that and you start seeing people show up and going, Oh, <laughs> and being all creepy and weird. But here's the thing. I think Michelle is a cop. Yeah, I think he is too. And I think the other guy's a cop that dropped them off. Right. Well, so <laughs> these two guys are like the scuzziest fucking people on the planet. Yep. And they're cops. Yeah. Well, maybe okay. they're just really getting into their undercover role. Like, you know. Or they're playing like, the part. They're like witness relocation. Like, <laughs> add everybody out. Well, you know, it's funny because the, the, again, the very first time I watched it, the only thing I remember is um, the family. It was a family of people that killed everybody. So I didn't remember much after that. But the second time I watched it, which was back in October. You know the scene where Michelle writes a note and the note is supposed to go and tell somebody to come? Derek. Right. Yeah. I thought that the dude in the orange sweater was the dude who received that letter. I did too. But I and but when I watched it the second time, I realized that that was the guy who dropped off Michelle. And Michelle says, come back tomorrow around 10. And so... The second time through, I understood why I got confused and thought that that was the same guy. And it wasn't like that's the first time through when I was paying attention. I'm like, wait, who is this guy? But see, here's how this can get fucked up, because (laughs) the people who dub the movies sometimes make up their own shit. So at any point, any of these things that we're like piecing together. Yes could be like never intended for us to ever think that way. Exactly. It, it just all falls apart because of the way that they dubbed the, yes. the and, and, and we're now full circle back to what we, what we opened the podcast. With. <laughs> it's fantastic. I love when that happens. It's very serendipitous. Okay. Real quick too. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to point out the yellow fur coat that Felice has on when she meets Michelle is fucking amazing yeah yeah okay and his tiger striped um robe that he wears when he wants to maybe seduce her later (laughs) is amazing that's all i'm saying (laughs) but otherwise he's a very fucking ugly dude like really ugly like he's got the I, never mind. I won't even go into it because I, I, you know, I'm no prince myself. But I, I just wasn't. It, he wasn't. You know, I don't know why Felice or Esther or whoever the fuck she is would. would You're also a, not trying to fuck your cousin, so. Well, that's true too. Good on you for that. Good on me. Um, so let's see. I'm looking at my notes here. So, um, uh, let's see. Uh, uh, oh, wait a minute. Where am I? Okay. So, uh, at some point, oh, we got the, you know, we talked about this already, the, the jewelry with the bug inside, um, 
and we get to a scene where uh, Michelle's dog, so the, the dog is a German shepherd who shows up and immediately starts attacking the vultures. Now, we, we probably should just talk about the fact that they, I guess they wanted to use this idea of the vultures to reinforce, you know, um, the fact that the family themselves were vultures like they just would prey on anybody that would come by um and kill them and bury them and and mix their skulls in with the skulls that they've excavated because the what the etruscans used to live there and okay shit like that. dude like seriously okay there's <laughs> vultures in this movie for no fucking reason <laughs> we could make reasons up <laughs> suddenly this whole place is an excavate an excavation site of um, ruins of some fucking shit that makes absolutely no sense. There's bugs wrapped in gold crawling on some chick's hand. Like, there's all these things that they throw out in the beginning of the movie, and then they just go, eh, eh. Like, man, our plot's getting really convoluted. Maybe we should kind of <laughs> lay off on some of this other extra shit. <clears throat> this movie no. has everything in it. It does. It For does. No it, it has no it all. Yep. And it's none of it's tied together. And and it's a really interesting point because, you know, again, we we assume that the way that we watched the film was the way that it was intended to be put together and edited. But maybe, you know, there, like the idea, you know, the, some of these scenes just. You know how you used to talk about how um, we used to, we used to get onto this topic on the podcast where we would say something like, um, maybe they didn't know who the killer was before they started filming, and then, you know, as they're putting this thing together yeah. and filming I don't these think scenes, that's the case here. This story no. is so fucking convoluted. Yeah, they had to have it ahead of time, but they I wanted to write it backwards. Right, but I'm wondering if the scenes themselves could have been interchanged and well, I guess not because I mean, basically the movie is divided into three parts. The first part being, um, Michelle and who's the next guy who shows up. Um, Colin. No, not Colin. Der- uh, Derek. No, no, it's not Derek. Derek's it's not the Derek. inspectors. Derek's the guy who's going to come back. Yes. This guy is, um, some, that guy who was in TJ Hooker, I can't remember what his name is. Not William Shatner, but the other guy. Looks like him. Is uh, it Alex? Yes. Name Alex? Okay. Yeah. And, okay. like, there's all this... Sh- okay, well, first off, for no reason, um, Felice Navidad stabs <laughs> fucking Tiger Robe when he's looking through some papers Yes. She she just kills him. But not before uh Colin strangles his dog for finding oh, yes. some yes, sort yes. of bones in the uh in the gr- in the uh, in the ground there. And I think they I think they really just edged they went to the edge of what was acceptable for making it look like they were trying to strangle the dog. Cuz I I know at this time period, especially if you go and look at the cannibal movies, there was a lot of like animal cruelty that was filmed. And it was, you know, it was obviously censored, but it was, you know, it was allowed to happen. Um, and this doesn't look like that, but at the same time, you know, they're, they're shoving the dog's head down into the ground. Yeah. Uh, 
So it's it's kind well, my of thought on here, the edge there. My thought here was like this was probably your clue that he worked for the cops because it's a German shepherd. It looks like a police dog. I don't know if Italian police use German <laughs> shepherds, but the dog just takes off running like he's on a mission. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm going to go find some fucking dead bodies. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, is that the, this body that the fucking dog's looking for is 13 years old. Right. So we come back to this thing like, what the fuck's been happening the last 13 fucking years? Like, why is it now, like, important to fucking close this case? Yeah, like, exactly. Maybe it has something to do with nothing, the re- Nothing has happened. And then later, um, I, I, I'll, give, I'll, I'll hit that later. But yeah, so he kills the fucking dog. Um, and... Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I don't want to jump ahead and all I'm doing is well, jumping ahead. No, so. no, no. The thing that you're the thing that you're saying about whether we should have noticed that the dog was a hint that this was really a cop. That's a that's a really good point, but I never it never would have come to me that way. And and you know, I may just be that type of person that doesn't notice that kind of minus, you know, minor shit, but you know, now that you bring it up there's no way I'm going to watch that scene again without thinking, Oh, it's a police dog, you know, but until you just, until that moment where you just mentioned it, I was, I would have never thought of that. So, um, because the guy, he never even like, he acknowledges that he has a dog, right? Like he's like, Oh yeah, I have a dog. It's running through your fucking house right now. Yeah. And the dog, as soon as the dog gets out of the car, it jumps and tries to attack the vultures, you know? So yeah. it's, it's gone. It's on its own fucking. And again, is this supposed to be intended symbolism or is it, are we just making too much out of this? You well, know? I can't, I was on the, on the third viewing, I was sitting here trying to see if there was actually a shot of the vultures with one of the actors. Okay. And I don't think they're actually in the same shot ever. Yeah. So I'm wondering if, like they're like, oh, this would be cool. Let's get some close-ups of some vultures from the zoo. <laughs> we have this cage here. Let's like, and then everyone knows the fucking vultures' names. Like people who just show up, they're like, oh, hey, Tino, or oh yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever the vultures or Kiki or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. how old do vultures get? <laughs> how like, do how live? do all these people know who the fuck these vultures are? Yeah, because yeah, because even when Felice was doing her flashback, she remembers who they are, and she's she hasn't been around for ages. So yeah, but here's a good in, here's a good question, because I don't know, and you know, IMDb isn't necessarily a hundred percent reliable, but the difference between the time when Bird with the Crystal Plumage was released and this movie was released in the same year, the fact that this thing. The fact that they had established that this movie that had the word bird in the title and that kind of sort of used a bird as a clue at the end of the movie was successful. Yeah. Did they put that in this one hoping that, you know, it would, nah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm reaching. This, this movie came out in March, didn't it? Yeah, I don't know. Again, I don't know how reliable that information is anyway. So, um, I, I'm well, pretty I mean, sure the, that the bird was came out in 71. Right. right. 
So I think this movie was shot in 69 at the latest. So I don't know. This wasn't out yet. Stop. Maybe this wasn't out yet, you know. But, I mean, if you want to start talking tropes, I mean, we have the exotic animals, the artistic douchebag, the (laughs) uh, airplanes flying, the J&B bottles, like, like, oh, my God, this movie has everything. I mean, the only thing we didn't have in this is POV of a killer. Because, like, we have... Um, there's no killer. Really. Well, there's many killers. Yeah, and, and, but, and I don't want to start bringing up the Jalo score because that's almost like me you know, having, you know, PTSD of, of things that happened in my past. Um, but I did, I did make the score. I did go back and run through the score, and I got a score for it. We'll talk about it later. Okay, um, okay, okay. But... Um, I don't know what the hell. I don't know. I don't know what that what that had to do with anything. But uh, um, I lost my train of thought. And okay, so Tiger Tiger Mask is um, writing a note to Derek, saying like, "Yeah, shit's, shit's cool. Come, come now." Yes. And then he's like, like everyone does in these movies. Like the second you write a note or the second you make a phone call. Your minutes yeah. are numbered. Yep. So he goes into the room of Felice, <laughs> sees her laying in bed. She's pretending to be asleep. So instead of um, like attacking her right away, he starts going through her papers like a maniac, right. making as much fucking noise as possible. She sleeps with a knife under her pillow and gets up and fucking just stabs him. Because there's some dude in my room dressed like a tiger. I'm going to stab I do. Right. Yeah. So. But um, when um, she stabs him. um, When she stabs him. uh, Then we have a flashback to the rape scene. Yeah. But if you notice, every time she has a flashback, she's looking at Felice. She's not seeing it through her eyes. Yeah, 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 right. She's not seeing it as the victim. She's seeing it somebody watching it. Right. And I think that um, is kind of crucial to the big twist. Yes. Well, and and the other thing that that pisses me off a little bit and it's confusing is that we know, and we're not spoiling this, we're going to spoil it, whatever. We know that the, the actress who plays Felice in the beginning is actually eventually identified as Esther. Yeah. And a different girl is identified as Felice. But the girl who plays the Felice in the flashback is a third girl, a third actress that doesn't look anything like the other two. So, yeah. you know, it's and just then the girl more confusing. Plays, the girl who plays Esther in the flashbacks, which is ridiculous she doesn't look like either one of them she just has darker hair she has dark hair right right, she's not in any of the flashbacks until it comes out that she exists and then we see all the same flashbacks and there's this other girl there because like in the very beginning of the movie when we see the decapitated body and and um, lucille we only see the two kids esther's not in that Right, right, right. So either 
that is also from Esther's point of view, or the director was just like, let's keep her out of it until right. later. We don't want to confuse the audience any more than they already are. Yeah. Right. Okay. And, and that's tacky. That's <laughs> like saying like, oh, of course you couldn't figure this out because I didn't give you the clues. No, no. I like your, I, I want to go with your interpretation instead, which is it's a different person's point of view. I like that better. I want to, I want to suspend disbelief and be the optimist here. So, okay, let's do uh, that. <laughs> So I and then we okay so let's move to we're trying to scene by scene this but it's almost impossible. So we get to the next part which is when Alex shows up in his nice orange turtleneck sweater and asks Felice slash Esther if he uh, if he if she has a cigarette. Um, then all of a sudden they just start flirting and talking about you know um, Michelle and they start talking about. Uh, Cigarettes. What, was, what and, was the dog's name? Bobo. Oh, the dog. Oh, he finds the dog's collar. That's what it yeah. is. Um, and he sees um, Lucille and Colin doing something very fucking suspicious, and it's just like, oh, I guess that's what you do in an outhouse. Huh. <laughs> um, and Felice's outfit here is half amazing and half like disgusting. She has on like this awesome like leopard print skirt and vest, but then underneath it, she's got this hideous like fucking green like pea, uh, split pea soup green (laughs) thing and a fucking ascot or something. Um, It's just like, ah, she's so close to being like the coolest chick on the planet, and just can't pull it off can't pull it off and and when you get the close-ups you realize that she's not really you know she's got a little bit of of wear and tear to her face oh yeah a little bit um yeah see now like i I, I have i have to stop for a second simply because um this is where like they do a lot of the talking that we talked about at the very beginning of the episode like He's saying stuff that doesn't make any fucking sense. She's agreeing with stuff that doesn't make any sense. They walk inside. He grabs her and pulls her on his lap. She spills her drink. And he's like, oh, man, when I get you, when oh, when I see a woman that I think is beautiful, I go crazy. And yeah, yeah, I will yeah. stop it until I bed her down or whatever the fuck he says. But he just goes <laughs> on and on. And then Colin comes in, doesn't even know this guy's there, and he sees the dog collar, and he's like, oh, no. And Colin's wearing Santa's fucking, like, 70s, like, disco jumper. (laughs) He just looks like a fucking idiot. And he, like, slaps him with the collar, and he's like, get out of here, you sick, perverted fuck! And um, she's like, he's my guest. And then the next scene, he's like eating chicken and it's like spilling out of his mouth. Yeah. And this is when, um, and she's changed clothes again because it's a different scene. So cue wardrobe change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm looking at this right now. This is this this awesome black outfit. Wait, so wait a minute. I got, I, 
we got to go through this in real time because I'm looking at it right now. She's she's standing next to him. She got the leopard print with the yellow turtleneck with the scarf. He's got the Santa Claus shirt on with the chains and the open collar. Oh god. And then, yeah, and you're right. And then we switch yeah. to the dinner scene where he's eating the chicken and Colin has got this wacky shirt with the pipe and she's changed but she also is a flamenco guitar player by the way oh it's awful (laughs) it's so bad yeah there's like two scenes two or three scenes where she's like playing guitar and like you hear guitar music but you see that her hands aren't her hand is just stuck at the top it doesn't move yeah but they didn't put and, uh, hair back then. Yeah, people, they didn't. Yeah. And Colin looks like he's in Jefferson Airplane. He's smoking yeah, yeah. some weird hookah pipe. Um, <laughs> and Lucille looks like she's on the verge of a nervous breakdown every five seconds. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, it makes so much sense when you explain that she's just the governess and that she doesn't have really an emotional tie to anyone in the house other than Colin because he's her son. Um Although he, she does have an emotional tie to exactly the other girl who's Esther, but we don't know that right now. Yeah. Um, because she just, she, she reminded me of Barbara Steele in certain scenes. Yeah. Like she's she totally got that Barbara did. Steele look. And then there are certain scenes when she gets close-ups, and you're like, she's actually kind of hot. And then the next yeah. scene, the way the lighting goes, she, you know, or whatever, she's not anymore. But, um, but anyway, this scene is memorable for this weird yeah hit it because this is fucking that happens i have no idea why this like puts felice into a trance i i just don't get it because well, she looks shocked yeah. every time it stops like well, oh my god what was yeah. i doing well and tell me if you agree with this interpretation it sounds like so they first start talking about how colin is an artiste oh and yeah He's a writer and a painter and a musician and all this stuff. He's a Renaissance man. Right. Yeah. And she says something about, Oh, and you should see the way that he interprets and she names some sort of author. And I'm assuming that this is a, a pornographic or at least an erotic writer. I um, missed who they said at first, but there is a point when they say Lorca and um, Lorca was a Spanish poet who was executed in the seventies. Oh, okay. Um, uh, Garcia Lorca. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that was interesting. I've never heard him mentioned in a film before. Okay. Before. So that was like... Check that. I can't remember who else they said. They did say somebody else. Yeah, I, I, I remember them mentioning somebody in that how Colin is, Colin is really good at interpreting, quote-unquote, this person. So whatever yeah. that so then they play a recording which i'm assuming is colin reading the poetry yeah being the narrative or whatever and it sounds like uh felice esther is also on this recording or maybe it's some other girl who knows um and while they're listening to it they start dancing and doing this weird hippie shit and then they turn And then then it all turns into erotic uh, performance art. Yeah, they're playing tonsil hockey. Like it's just really, it's out there, man. It's as out. And you know what this reminds me of? This is a good point to bring this up. Um, 
what what I've noticed is that as you go forward in the history and the chronology of Jolly, this kind of shit is gone. Like every once in a while, there's another movie where they have a scene like this. But if you go back and look at it's Lens, Lenzi's films yeah. and like the erotic Jolly that Lenzi did in the 60s with uh, yeah. um, whatever the hell her name was, um, Baker. Yeah. Um, there's all these there's Carol. all these scenes Carol. where it's like Carol Baker. There you go. Yeah. There's all these scenes where it's like the music is playing. There's dancing going on. There's this weird kind of erotic fetishistic petting thing going on. Um, and it's, it's, it's exaggerated and it's, it's, it's prolonged a little bit too long for comfort. Yeah. And I think that part of it is like just to fill time, obviously. I feel like too, it's the, what the squares are afraid of from the, (laughs) yeah, you're right. (laughs) You know, like it's such a great thing. It's that whole thing. And like, um, Oh fuck. What's that movie called? Um, your, uh, your heart, your vice, your vice, the locked room and and only I have the key. Yeah. yeah, That whole thing where like, he's the professor who wants to be cool. Like these young kids that are making out doing drugs and all this stuff, but he's bring all the hippies uh, over. Yeah. It's like that that scene where she's singing like daughter, daughter, blah, blah, blah face dude that was horrendous <laughs> it was it was or horrendous. even like um woman in lizard skin the chick with the yeah, amazing yeah, yeah. red hair like yep. she was painting with knives and making out with her brother yes i think like everyone's making out with their brothers yeah dude like, i mean I, I wish that i had your brain because the way that you just interpreted that in oh, in, in, the, in three or four words which was they wanted to they wanted to 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 exploit the thing that the that the squares were afraid of. That's exactly what it was. But That's I feel exact. like the filmmakers are those squares. Like they see that the young people are doing all of this weird shit. Right. You know, like I feel like they are like the dude from Your Vice, the, the guy who has a like a tangential like uh relationship with those people but isn't one of those people mm. do, you, do you see what i'm saying like I, wants I, I, to be in, in the yeah. cool, cool kids club yeah yeah well i mean it, it probably is that it probably was that way because all these filmmakers you know they you know as and as much as these films didn't make much sense at the time they were they were quality productions as far as yeah. the artistic contain you know as far as the uh, the artistic aspect was concerned and so maybe these were the nerds who were trying to like hey you know i could be a filmmaker and get these hot chicks in my film and they'll take off their clothes and i don't know that's I mean, that's been like the the fucking crutch of the filmmakers since motion <laughs> pictures like like if you watch like pre-code era stuff like in the twenties, like silent movies, there are a bunch of chicks getting naked and right. doing all sorts. Of, like it's just like if the production code never happened, like film would have been 
straight pornography by 1931. <laughs> like, there wouldn't have been like, oh, you mean we could tell stories with this too? No, right. that doesn't make any money. We're going to go straight for the naughty. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so... Um, All right, so we have that scene. Then she right. says, like, um, he's my guest, and blah, blah, blah. Um, so you guys could leave now. And so she tells them to leave, but then she leaves with him. Right. Whatever. Like, it's just weird. She says she's going to show him to his room, but then the next scene is them in bed together in her room. Right. So. And of uh, course we have Colin watching as he did last time, um, because he's a perv. Voyeuristic. Um, this is another thing with the flashback. Oh yeah, we'll get to all that. Yep. I'm getting all on top of myself here. And then, uh, and then of course, you know, she tries to pull the same shit that she pulled on Michelle, but uh, Alex isn't having it, and he's like, "Oh, I well, see." Watch it. It's kind of funny because she goes to stab him, and he goes to block her hand and misses. <laughs> and right. Her hand keeps going, and she has to stop. <laughs> I did notice that. That's really funny. The second time through, I'm like, wait, that's that looks like a some sort of, you know, unintentional mishap. <laughs> Fucking hell, that would have been just the uh, icing on the cake. That would have made this movie legendary. But yeah, so he's like, oh, so you get your kicks by gutting people or something? Like, I don't know what he says. And and then she's like, oh, okay, whatever. And so they're like back to doing whatever they were doing. And he runs his fingers through her hair and her hair comes off and she starts screaming. And he, like you do in these movies, starts fucking laughing at her. <laughs> the wind fell off. Just laughing hysterically. And fucking, um, oh, there was the part where Colin's like, hey, don't you know what a praying mantis does to the male? Well, here's your warning. And all that. And so while he's laughing... Um, she takes a giant sword off the wall like she thought she did when she killed her father. And um, she takes a swing at him and chops his head off for laughing at her for wearing a wig, even though she was going to kill him anyway for him just kissing her. Right. So. <laughs> um, That's a very good uh, recap. Yeah, and that is the end of Act One because Act Two is—it uh, starts with this 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 change of scenery in the uh, mental institution with all the girls, and we Which see. I, oh, we already talked about that. I had no idea that that was not a party at their house. <laughs> right, you, <clears throat> you you were saying that like it yeah. it appears to be the same thing, especially since your your reference to the swing. Uh, which is outside and the real Felice comes in. But is this the first time we're introduced to the character who pretends to be um, Mr. A? Yeah. Okay. This because is where we meet him. We meet the doctor. But no, actually, no, right? Because, oh, wait, when does he get the note? 
from Doesn't Michelle he note right before he goes in. I can't remember which comes first, him showing up in the mental institution to get Feliz. Doesn't he tell some dude like book me a flight? Is that where he says Zurich? Book yeah. me a flight to Zurich. Right, right. Um, so that must happen later. Okay. I think this happens right before we go into that room, isn't it? Well, he because I don't know if I would have remembered him. Because because originally what happens is, um, uh, uh, what the hell's her name? Jesus Christ. Um, go back on my notes here. Lucille and Colin have this little meeting back a few scenes ago where they talk about what should they do with the note? Should they feed it to the vultures? And then Lucille says, no, let's just send it on. Um, and then when the, the person who gets here gets here, we'll, we'll take care of them too. But there's a yeah. scene where he gets the note. And yeah, I'm watching it makes, right now. It's, makes, it's right uh, before he gets the note. He tells the guy to book him a flight or whatever. He turns a corner. Oh, wait, no, there's an airplane. What's the timestamp? Um, or... This is at 3042. Oh, or okay. it's probably a little bit before that. So there's the airplane, and then we're in the mental hospital that also could pass for um, the hot couture from Lead and Black Lace. Because all these patients are girls that are about 18 years old that look like models. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, it happens at the same time. So he gets the note. He says, book me a flight. There's a shot of a plane. And then we're in the mental hospital and he's there with the doctor and um, the Okay, girl. so that, that happens notice, first is what you're saying. Yeah, if you notice, he's not in the same room as her. Because he's still walking in the same building he was in when he got the note. And so okay. she's like, there she is. And then he like looks. And then we have Lucille watering the potted plant that all of a sudden is a big deal to Felice. And then we'll end up a big deal later. Ah, uh, right, 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 right. The chrysanthemums. Yeah. Right. And Colin has on um, Alex's jumper and that pisses her off. So she's like ripping it off of him. Yeah, and then the other thing that's really funny, mad. there's this, there's I like this him. There's like a bronze vase with these three giant sunflowers in it. Yes. And they try to shove that in every scene. They'll, like, move it throughout the house. Like, it's <laughs> always in the background. And um, Oh, one yeah, time, I'm seeing it, yep. Oh, my God. Okay, anyway. But and then there's another thing. They don't look there's real, though. Fuck, there's guns all over this house. And this guy's going to come swords. in and hold them up with a yeah. pistol. Right. Maybe they're just decorative. They don't have ammo for these well, guns. Well, he gets the shotgun out later, like he's going to shoot um. And then he's like, no, it's too loud. It's not my way. Right, right, right. Okay, I had to pull out of the movie, or else I'll just do a fucking run. Yeah, you'll do a commentary. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, there's a scene where... I, I'm with you. Like, there's a scene where... Um, right after we see the detective, he gets the note from Michelle. He goes to the asylum. He sees the girl. They We go back to the house, and then there's a scene where... Um, they're all asleep in the in separate beds. I'm looking at it now, and this yeah. that's the that's the scene at the at the 33 minute mark where the girl the the actress who plays um, 
Lucille looks a lot like Barbara Steele in this. She also looks this. like Edward Fennick. Like when he's throwing her yeah. hairs down. Her face isn't as round. She doesn't no. have, she's, she's very like skinny compared to Edwidge. And so, okay. So this movie is so f- interesting because like you said, in the very beginning of this podcast, which seems like three years ago now, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, there are so many things about this movie that you love and that you hate kind of simultaneously. And the thing that's continuing to pop up for me is that as much as we want to, to uh, as, as much as there's a, enough evidence for us to believe the story that this is one of these movies that was thrown together um, without much of a script and blah, 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 blah. If you look at the structure of it and how well adheres to a classic structure of acts like the the michelle character the alex character all the shit that they did in the beginning to establish that then they leave this entire vibe completely and show the girl in the asylum and the guy who's getting on a plane to go to zurich and now we have act two which is a really like it's distinctly act two because this is when um what's his name shows up pascal so yeah. they're all they're all sleeping in separate beds, and then Pascal shows up. And Pascal is the guy that we see in the intro, who was arrested by the police. The guy who was on the um, motorcycle, who for one reason or another knows enough about what Lucille did that night to be able to come back and blackmail her. And what trips me out is that now, like I think that he probably knew andre because he's a shady fucker right and he was probably coming to get or like hey hide me from the cops or whatever you know and saw that she was burying somebody and sending a boat out and i'm sure he got the newspaper while he was in jail and it probably said oh yeah this guy andre body went missing on this boat well yeah that's like oh yeah that I, I know what happened. But, like, why he didn't try to leverage that to get out of jail? Like, hey, I have some info. Well, because you don't, know cause you do don't that. rat. That's why. And if you know anything about the, the organized crime code, is that if you want to continue to be oh. a soldier, well, when you come out a of prison... Or is he just, like, a, a douchebag? I don't know. Like, we don't, we don't know if whether or not he worked for... Mr. A or not. So he's like, okay, I'll just stay here for 13 years and get a hundred thousand dollars. Well, but I mean, that's a good, the, the point that you made earlier, which was that it makes sense. Like, why would he be riding his motorcycle? If he escaped from prison, why would he be riding it there? It's not like their house just happens to be in the middle of this urban environment. Like they're in the middle of no. So he, he clearly was was riding his bike up there on purpose in hopes that Mr. A was going to give him some sort of asylum now that he's escaped from from prison. Um, but then he goes back to prison and waits there for 13 years and then comes back again. But he is fueled so he blackmail. Yeah, he's fueled by the knowledge that he uh, obtained that night. When he got arrested, which was, he's like, hey, I've seen enough shit here that when I get out, I'm going to fucking 
put the screws to these to these bitches and get some money. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> like that's what he thought of for 13 years as well as, you know, the fact that he needed a, a you know, he wanted a woman. He thought about women for 13 years, which he makes clear in the scene. Um, I think the most important part that we need to talk about with regard to um, Pascal is that the <laughs> I'm, looking, I'm looking at the scene. I'm looking at the scene where Felice slash Esther has got this blue halter top on. Yeah, that's her hair's all sleeping, fucked up. Right? What's that? Is that what she was sleeping in? Yeah, and her hair is totally, totally disheveled. Yeah. Um, uh, but the funny, the I think the most important part to talk about here is that for some reason, that doesn't really get explained, and that you're kind of scratching your head about later on in the movie is that she liked him, like genuinely That's liked. That's what I was gonna bring up. She's like, "Oh, you killed him because you knew I liked him." After he raped her mean? in the home. Was she going to eventually have him in her bed and then stab him like the other two guys? Or did she really, really like them? But then I don't know what's weirder because then she's like, you're my slave, you're my slave. And he's like, yes, I'm your slave. And then they start <laughs> making out. <laughs> two inches away from a body in a bathtub that's just been killed with cyanide off of a Holocaust flashback. Right, right, right. We're jumping ahead here, but yes. <laughs> Right about all that. It's like, dude, these these the people who wrote this movie just assumed that everyone was going to be on acid, and it was all going to make sense when they when they watched it. Oh. But yeah, we we didn't, we haven't even talked about the black the, the various flashbacks, including the concentration camp one. Yeah. Um, so Lucille, as a teenager, was in the Holocaust. Like she was a Holocaust survivor. Correct. And her family was um, sent to the gas chambers. Yes, except for her because they thought that she was desirable and they kept her out of there. Um, There is a J&B bottle in one of those scenes with Pascal. Yeah. I just wanted to make note of that. Um, (laughs) And Pascal basically is like, look, I I saw you bury somebody out there. So let's go dig him up. And I want some money. They don't find him. They find the dead dog, whatever. Um, and Pascal's like, you know what? I'm getting tired. Let's go inside uh, and have a drink. And once they go inside and have a drink, which is where the J&B bottle shows up, they decide that the... Oh, and by the way, uh, while they're out digging, Pascal shoots one of the vultures. Yeah. That's it. Um, which they talk about again later, but in a weird way. So, uh, okay. So, so Pascal, they're back inside. He ties the the two girls together. Has their way with has his way with them. He has them tied up, and then to have his way with them, he needs to untie them. <laughs> and as he's like doing horrible things to them, like in every jally like this, the girl rolls her eyes back in her head in like torrid pleasure, yes. and is just okay with it. Yes. Um, Colin is not because, okay with it. And because he's that's like, really what, you know, they want to establish. The, the, these Italian machismo directors want to establish, look, this is really what women want. They yeah. want they want Pascal. They want incest. They want to be tied up. This is really what they want secretively. Yeah. <laughs> They're like saying, 
It's okay <laughs> if you do this to your sister. Yeah. She will enjoy it. Because oh, even so after awful. we get to see Pascal's ridiculous naked ass get in a bathtub. With one slipper on. With one name. slipper on. We also <laughs> we also find out that Felice Esther really liked him for some reason. So, but I, she I, never acts like it through the whole movie. The only time she acts like it is when they're in the outhouse where they dispose of the bodies. And it's almost like oh, they've true. got this little yeah. friendship dialogue thing going on. But we're jumping ahead. Um, I, I guess um, I'm trying to think what happens. They dig up the he, grave. He basically is like, you're going to dig the up vulture. this whole place. Right, right, right. They're going to they're gonna go back out and dig some more. Yeah. Um, but I guess they wait until the next thing or the next day. I'm sorry. Yeah, because it's a passion play, not a rape. Oh, yeah, 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 the passion play. I have something in my notes saying, and I don't even remember this. Maybe I didn't pay attention. Colin shining shoes. Yeah. They keep digging. The next morning. Oh, the souffle. The souffle, right, right, right. The next morning, Colin shining his shoes with him in the shoes. And he's like, oh, you really liked that, didn't you? Well, we'll have to give you an encore. <laughs> and then um, Felice walks in and he grabs her and he's like, tell him how much you liked it. And then, uh, like she would do, she doesn't say anything. So when people ask her to speak, she won't speak. But right. when people are delivering dialogue, she cuts them off all the time. <laughs> right. Because she is a professional. <laughs> <laughs> but ah, I, have, I have in my notes here and i don't know what this is in quotes water isn't good for you i don't remember who says that somebody says that i don't, I don't know whatever is that when he's eating his souffle and trying to shove a banana in her yeah mouth? yeah yeah that's the that's part of that scene yep because the next yeah. scene is they go into the bathroom um and I don't know if you remember this or not, but we talked about this ages ago, and we even got Al, our Italian correspondent, to verify this. We moved to the bathroom scene, which is a, is a pretty awesome, memorable scene. Yeah. Um, because basically, Pascal has said, look, I want a bath. I've been in prison for 13 years. I haven't had a good bath, and I want one. But I don't want one out here in the outhouse. I want one up in the, chickadees, in the chickadees, uh, ba- uh ba- bathroom. Right. Yeah. So now they move to the bathroom. Um and Lucille decides that she's going to reveal to Colin that the easy way to kill Pascal is to put cyanide tablets in the bathtub. And the reason why she knows this is effective is because of what you just mentioned earlier, Matt, which is that we're going to have a black and white flashback scene from a concentration camp. Where everyone that Lucille knew and was related to, except for Lucille, was sent to a gas chamber. And she had to watch them all die from this cyanide poisoning. And so she uses that information in order to, for her advantage, in order to kill Pascal in the bathtub. So Colin takes these um, cyanide tablets, puts them on the cuckoo clock, which just happens to be positioned in a way where when they fall they fall right into the bathtub it is brilliant 
Like, it's just like, wow. Yeah. It's definitely, I don't know if you, a a way better version of this little kind of gadgety kind of uh, uh, Rube Goldberg type contraption thing is in um, The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward, where um, the killer... Use the ice uses the ice cube to make it look like it wasn't a forced entry, right? Yeah, uh, and that was way better than this. But this that that's what this reminded me of. And again, you know, let's go back to the idea that we're we're looking for the tropes and the idea that you know these tropes were being invented in 1970, yeah. and um, were you know were expanded upon and perfected later, a couple years later. So okay, Pascal dies. Let's let's move on. It's a weird scene. We talked about it before. The music is weird. Um, he's doing this weird stuff with the bubble bath, and the water's going everywhere, and it's ridiculous. And they're trying as best they can to make sure that they don't expose his his man junk, but otherwise we can see his ass. And it's just it's just a weird, horrible scene when they finally <laughs> come in. To investigate, one of the one of my favorite parts of this movie is seeing Colin in his weird paisley collared shirt with matching shorts. Yes, I'm looking at him right now, and a gas mask on. Oh my that, god, that was the greatest thing I think I've seen in a long time. I'm like, okay, dude. But here's the thing: if you have a gas mask, <laughs> you obviously have swords pitchforks shovels (laughs) rifles i have never seen a place with more shit to be able to fucking kill someone right than this place and for like for like 48 hours they're prisoners like i don't get it like yeah they i guess they're you know i I guess the only thing you can say is that they're intimidated tries to call the cops right God, pot calling kettle black. Like yeah, no, so so that what here's here's the interesting thing. So the first two guys that show up that pose some sort of a of a threat to their secret, whatever they think their secret is, they kill them. But this guy, he is also posing a threat to their secret, but he wants money. Um he doesn't want to necessarily send them to jail like the other two would. And they're completely intimidated by him. They don't yeah. try to kill him at all. Which is very strange, but I think it's because, like, the, the movie pa- needed to be forty minutes longer. Yeah. Well, that's true too, of course. But Pascal kind of represents a, a different kind of guy, like a yeah. gang dude. Like the other kind of guys were slick, and they're trying to bed the women that they were talking to. And Pascal is more like, "Look, I'm just going to take what I want. I'm a gangster. I've been in jail. I don't give a shit," you know. So maybe they were intimidated enough by him to not try anything, but I don't know. I'm I'm reaching, obviously, looking way or, into it. Like they had footage of a bunch of naked chicks going into a gas chamber from some <laughs> movie that they were gonna make but couldn't get the money for for some reason. When did that? Like, when did those Ilsa movies come out? Because that's what it 70s. reminded me of. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. It's like it's so random. You almost think the whole thing's put together just so they could show this bit. <laughs> well, I, that's one of the things I read was that when they marketed this 
for DVD release, they put a lot of emphasis on the black and white World War II concentration camp gas chamber scene, which is really not, you know, like that was, that was the marketing that they used. I, I don't know if you remember, like Redemption was a distributor a while back. And they did a lot of those Agene Roland films. Oh, yeah. And a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, and they would come up with these covers for their DVDs that weren't anything. Like, they weren't screen grabs from the film at all. They were just recreations um, of the theme in, like, modern modern whatever. And I think whatever they used for this one... Um, it, it highlighted the whole German Nazi thing and not necessarily the, the giallo aspect to it. So, but yeah, anyway. I'm watching this again, like this scene in the bathtub. And I think when they put water in the tub, they, they did not understand the science of water displacement. <laughs> so when you have some like 300 pound dude gonna like go completely submerged in the water. See, uh, I'm going to disagree with you. (laughs) Reason why I'm going to disagree with you is because (laughs) out of all the things that we could get, (laughs) that we could be in contention with, it's this, the bathtub. Um, No, see, I think that in the modern age, we have become so hyper aware of water spilling out of a bathtub, right? Like we don't want it to leak. We want, we don't want it to go through the floorboards, you know, and if you have kids and you put them in the bathtub, you don't want them to splash. But I think back in 1970, the idea of water spilling out of a bathtub was no big deal. It didn't matter. Well, and was there not mildew? Like, did they not have, they're like, just going to, it's like, you know, you get into a, ba- you fill the, in, in 1970, Italy, you fill the bathtub as high up as you want. And when you get in it, if some of it spills out, it's no big deal. Like, it's just, it's, that's, that's what happens. Just like when they're mixing the chemicals in the outhouse and they're like trying to be really careful with like putting it into the little cup to have it go down into the thing. And then they start stirring it all crazy and it's splashing all over them. (laughs) Well, well, you know, it's funny because we, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't finish a point that I was going to make earlier, which was, we talked about this. Many, many years ago on the, on the podcast, the idea that in, in modern America, when you get into a tub, the faucet is at one end of the tub. Yes. And in all of these movies, Bird with the Crystal Plumage, um, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, even this one, it's right in the middle, in between the head and the foot. And we actually had Al or maybe somebody else who was familiar with Italian uh, architecture um give us a comment on the facebook page that basically said look you're talking about these huge apartment complexes where the plumbing was basically you know set up in a certain way where it needed to all piggyback off itself and all the pipes were kind of like lined up in a certain way and that's why you had the faucets that way so i don't know why i'm bringing that up now but it's just like i noticed that in the bathtub the faucet was right in the middle and it just it's the same theme as far as bathtubs go with regard to um what you know what what was commonplace in these films back in the 70s 
And when you look at them now, you go, wow, that's kind of cool that they have the faucet in the middle of the tub, but it's not something that people normally do anymore. So. Correct. But I'm, I'm looking not to change the subject, but I'm looking at redemptions DVD cover for in the folds of flesh. And it's basically, (laughs) you have to look it up. Maybe I'll put, I'll post it on the Facebook page. Um, it's a it's a german looking hot woman dressed up in leather and a hat with a swastika nice uh, on her arm and it says in the folds of flesh at the very end of the scene with the bathtub we we and we talked about this already but we we get this weird situation where esther slash uh, felice is totally taken aback by the fact that the guy that she liked for some strange reason has been killed in a bathtub. And as she starts to freak out about it, Colin comes in and starts to try and comfort her. And that ends up in them starting to make out and get sexual again. So it's just as weird as you can get. I think the next thing that happens is the boat. Well, they burn the body in the vat. And yes. she freaks out. And right. Then and and Felice thinks up. and Felice has this hallucination that the head is her dad's head instead of um Pascal's head for a minute. Um but um yes, you're right. After this is act three, Pascal and all of the time killers that they added to this film with Pascal are now over. And we can start the 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 race towards the end of confusion for this film. Quote that unquote. is such a polite way to put it. So all of a sudden, this dude, which if you're paying attention, you've seen already at the mental institution and at the airport, shows up at the castle and introduces himself as Andre or Mr. A. Um, He changed his name to Derek. And now we know that this is the Derek, you know, that, that there's a legitimate reason why Michelle sent a message to Derek that says it's all clear. Come, you know, come, come, come back or whatever, whether this is code for the cops or whether this is code for the gangsters, it doesn't make any difference because at this point we're introduced to this character who swears that because of the amazing advances in plastic surgery that were happening in the 1970s, he looks completely different 13 years later. Um, but he has the same eyes. He has the same eyes, exactly. And you have to wonder whether or not, from from the narrative standpoint, as well as from the filmmaking standpoint, did they need to ensure that little detail? Because it was like, what if this guy who's pretending, no spoilers, but spoilers, uh, <laughs> this guy who's pretending to be Andre, has the same eye color. What if he didn't? What if he had blue eyes instead of green or whatever the fuck it was? Um, 
but they just added that in as a way for uh, Lucille to kind of validate that, yes, this really is him, although he doesn't look anything like he used to look. Um, hey, I've had this plastic surgery, and that's why. Like, I don't know if what you have written is any clearer than what happens next, but he basically, he sees Colin and he's like, oh, you're tall. He notices the vultures. She says one of them died of old age. Whatever. <laughs> right. <laughs> he sees the daughter who can't believe that it's him. And then later she's sleeping, like not horribly after that, but. He like rubs a birthmark <laughs> off her face. Right, right, right. So then I'm like, so she has someone put that on her and doesn't know that that's fake. Like, yeah, yeah. Who huh? puts the birthmark? Like that, that, that was like a yeah, yeah, yeah. unnecessary thing because it yep. just yes. causes way more questions than makes answers. Yeah, absolutely. It complicates things because, like you're saying. If if the birthmark really isn't real on her cheek, then clearly it has to be put there. And so then you ask the question, well, who puts it there? And if she puts it there herself, why? Because she's not supposed to know that she's supposed that they think she's somebody she's else. She's not. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's fucking bonkers at that point. I actually, uh, you know what I have in my notes that actually makes sense is WTF I have. With exclamation points. That's what I have in my notes. Well, he's like, <laughs> so uh, where's Esther now? Or something. Right. If this is my daughter. Oh, well, she was run over by a car. She was on her bike. Which, like, what the fuck is this coming from? Like, who the fuck's Esther? And then, and did you notice? Harry, and they did. Go ahead. Now, I was going to say, did you notice how they introduced that information as a completely different flashback technique than any of the other ones, which was a bunch of black and white crime scene photos that get flipped through like some sort of picture book. It was like, yeah, it, it was totally different than like, all the other flashbacks in the movie. And the whole time you're watching it going, who the fuck are they talking about? <laughs> no clue. So then we go to a cemetery and um, she signs a piece of paper from, because, you know, every Italian cemetery has some guy from the Bronx who, like, <laughs> has the notes and shit. And he's like, hey, hey, yo, are you going to fill this out or what? And um, <laughs> so that's going on. They, they pull the body out of the crypt. They pull the coffin out, open the coffin. And there's, like, bones and some, like, clothes and shit. And um, it's fucking horrific. Everyone's right. upset. And then later he's like, oh, I like what you did there. You went through all the trouble to, you know, do this and do that. By the way. <laughs> and then he starts dropping bombs. And you're like, I still don't even know who the fuck they're talking about. Right, right, right. So so, so what happens is they introduce another character at this point. And the character that they introduce, his name is Esther. And we've been referring to Esther as Felice throughout this whole thing. But what it really is, is that the character or the actress who plays Felice up until this point is now uh, eventually you is identified. Well, we don't identify them at this point because it's still not not explicitly told to us. But there's another character. There's a girl named Esther who is 
the governesses, that's Lucille's daughter, which is Colin's sister, right? Um, and the only person who who is asking about this girl is Andre, who has come back in his plastic surgery with his eyes that match. Um, there is one thing that we skipped, which is very important. Okay. That, because um, when uh, Esther's like, no, like, I killed you. And he's like, no, you didn't. You killed another man who was in my bedroom. Oh, right. So you right, just right. assumed it was um, me, but it was actually my helper guy. Um, I want to call him Bruno, but I know Antoine. that's his name. Antoine. Antoine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. Uh, but yeah, so yeah. then, so now there's another person who's been thrown into this. Yes. Then we have um, Antoine as well. You're you're right. Antoine. Yes. Okay. So I'm trying to think of what happens next. Do you have the notes? Like, does so, the real chick show up? So let's see. Uh, let's see. Um, so they introduce, okay, Andre returns, uh, Colin, uh, let's see. We, we saw uh, my, my notes, my notes basically say Lucille, cause I wrote these notes back in October. <laughs> Lucille covered up Andre's disappearance, but who was killed in the beginning? Okay. That's obviously. That's Antoine. We know the answer to that now. Yeah. Um, And, oh, go ahead. So, uh, flashback. An assassin comes to kill Andre. Felice thinks the assassin is Andre. Yeah, because Andre, like, hightailed it because he knew people were after him. Right. So, somebody was coming to kill Andre. This guy comes in and uh, to kill Andre. And... At this point in the movie, we think that this is some just random hired hand to come and kill Mr. A. Yeah. We don't realize later that he's actually part of the family. We realize yeah, the prime that family. Way. But that's when they introduce the idea of Esther and um, they go to the graveyard. Yeah. Now, here's my question for you. Do you think that this guy who came in with his little... Um, documentation that you needed to sign in order to excavate the grave. Do you think that he was related to the filmmakers in any way? Because it it really seems like this is some sort of cameo. um, Probably because he's wearing an ascot. It was a favor to the the producer to let him come in and do the scene. Um, The other thing that I like about the scene is despite the fact that Esther slash Felice has murdered or at least murdered one and attempted no no murdered no, two she's men two people that we've she's, seen she's murdered two men she's esca- she's excavating bones from the Etruscan archaeological site however when you open the casket and show the same looking bones she's just about to pass out she can't stand it she's she's going to faint yeah. And I don't really understand, you know, why all of a sudden she's so affected by the situation where she should be used to this by now. So is this just a an act 
No, she I think pre- she's just fucking batshit crazy. <laughs> if, if, if Esther was her friend, then probably seeing her friend's body um, might be... Uh, maybe it stunk. I don't know. But yeah. then they get back home, and um, Mr. A informs Lucille with a slap across the face that um, he knows she's full of shit because he already saw the real Felice at the mental hospital. And he knows that um, Lucille's just been living off the money that should be um, Felice's. Right. So he's pissed now. And she knows she's fucking kind of fucked. Right. And um, so pretty soon after this, um, she shows up, right? Like the doctor brings her up. Yeah, so like, like the nurse the or the doctor, or whoever it is, brings the real Felice to the house. Yeah. And Felice continues to fill in the blanks by having this weird flashback narrative from the swing. Where she says, oh, I remember the swing. You used to push me on the swing. Yeah, because Papa was always too busy. Yeah, that question. Like, do people in Italy not know how swings work? Like, <laughs> you're not supposed like, to stand on them? <laughs> yeah, you don't. But, like, when I was looking at them, it looks like your feet go in a basket. <laughs> there's not chains. There's poles. So, like, did America, like, like... I don't know. We like re, we reinvented the swing. The swing. We perfected yeah, it. Because yeah. like the way they swing on swings in this movie just looks like an accident waiting to happen. Well, I've seen weird internet videos where people swing on while they're standing up. And honestly, well, I did it, but I didn't have a basket to stand in and I had chains. Well, and do you, I mean, if you've stood up and and swung, if that's the conjugated verb properly, um, if you if you've been on a swing where you've stand where you've stood up, you've noticed that the way that it makes you feel is completely different than if you're sitting down. Completely. It, it's kind of like if you ever went on a roller coaster that was a stand up roller coaster instead of a sit down roller coaster. The the whole physics of how it affects you is, is different. Is totally different, and and so. And and I think that standing up on a swing is a little bit more aggressive of a thrill than if you're sitting yeah. down on one. So I don't know what that has to say about the Italian culture, but uh, cheers, they, Italian. They just culture. don't give a fuck, dude. They don't give a shit. They, you know. Yeah. So anyway, um, so this doctor, Felice, is has to swinging. Be a quack. Like I, yeah, the fact that the doctor thinks that any of this is a good idea. Her credentials should be stripped from her immediately. Well, what about the fact that she kind of loses some of her psychosis as time wears on? Like when she's first brought in, it's like you can't touch her. You can't look at her. No, no emotion, no touching, no talking, whatever. And then eventually it becomes no touching, no touching. You're not allowed to touch me. You know, so that's why you're not allowed to touch me. And then. And then she starts relating to people and, and making sense. Whereas she was just recently released from an insane asylum. And why should she be making sense at all? I don't yeah. know. And I don't think she is really um, 
making a whole lot of sense. Um, she's talking, and she's letting people. I mean, her and um, what's her name? God, she's look. She's dressed like fucking Nancy Reagan right now. Um, uh, Esther. Um, like they start hugging and touching each other's hair and face and all sorts of shit. Yeah. So yeah, like um, oh, and then like so we have all of this bullshit that's happened. So you think, see, this movie like it could end at any time. Like it's <laughs> it's almost like watching the movie Clue, and you know how in the movie Clue it's like this is how it could have happened, this is how it could have happened, and it has like three different endings. That's like this if you didn't have that card that said this is what could have happened. <laughs> this is it's just like if it just kept going. And you you're open like, up oh, a secret shit. envelope and read the you know read it. Yeah. It was, so it then was, it turns out that um, Lucille was banging um, Antoine down on the beach, right? And she was involved in the hit on Mister A. And so this is the first time where I felt like Mr. A and Lucille were more than just boss and governess. And he took it like. Yeah. And that's that. Right. Yeah. That's the evidence to the contrary that she's not more involved with Mr. A. Like, you know, she's stepping out on Mr. A with Antoine on the beach. Yeah. But conspiring with. But but it's more about. But your your theory of her being the governess and not being associated with Mr. A directly still makes sense because you could basically say, look, she's kind of like the caretaker of the house. Yeah. And when 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 Mr. A was there, um, he had this lucrative organized crime business that she kind of had to participate in to a certain extent to just facilitate what was going on in the house. And of course these kids are being born and, and she's got, she has to raise them and stuff, but she's also part of the, the crime syndicate. And so she meets Antoine and Antoine's like, Hey, why don't we just kill this dude? And, uh, we can take over for him and you and I can be together. Um, so it still makes sense, but in the initially and originally, I thought that she was Andre's husband and, that she was like stepping out on him with uh, Antoine yeah. and plotting and plotting against him. But really you, you don't need to necessarily connect the two is what I'm saying. Yeah. The part that gets weird, <clears throat> I guess is um, when it's like, okay, uh, Colin's like, okay, so all this is bullshit. I'm going to blow my face off if you don't tell me the truth. And she's like, <laughs> okay, let me get this rifle and I'm going to break this base. And here's Antoine's head and a paper in a plastic bag feeding <laughs> these chrysanthemums and has not decayed at all in the last 13 years. <laughs> How the fuck does that explain well, anything? There's some symbiosis between the chrysanthemums blooming three times a year and Antoine's head not decaying. Um, and also, like, are, I would are you like legit to, right now. Like, do you know the science behind no, this? No, not at all. Okay. I'm making it all up. Absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. There's like some like actual shit behind this. No, not at all. But I would like to. <laughs> I would like to make a call out to the fact that in Eyeball, 
which is 1975, they reference the chrysanthemums as the flowers of death. So there, there's, there's that happening. There it is. I don't know if Lindsay wanted to make a self-referential thing, you well, know. With, and then with again, the, like you go through this stuff and it's not like they had like VCRs and VHS tapes to like rewatch these over and over again. <laughs> right. So if Lindsay saw this at all, he saw it like drunk at some movie house while some chick was licking between his toes. Well, and, and on top of that, you know, the idea that uh, the chrysanthemum is probably from a folklore standpoint associated yeah. with death um, beyond the fact that it's referenced in a couple of Jalo films, right? So, you know, it's just, you know, urban folk folklore that they're trying to, you know, uh, use and, and uh, take advantage of in the film. So. Um, well, the other part that's weird is that she, uh, Felice, like, no, Esther, Esther says something like, so I didn't kill anybody or something like that. Right. But then when the cops show up, which I'm skipping ahead a little bit here again, they arrest everybody, like no questions yeah. asked, like everyone's going to jail, <laughs> but this inspector is like realizing that, that Lucille was the mastermind behind this whole thing. I mean, I guess because his two colleagues are missing, like breaking the vase, like, is that really the best way to do that? Like she could have just like, why did no one shoot her when she pulled a rifle off the wall? I don't know. Um, right, 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 right. But, um, so, so, so what? So basically, what what we're saying here, and what happens is that um, they they replay the flashback scene one more time, and the character who plays Felice, who has been raped by Antoine, who is now established as not just some intruder who has been hired to come and shoot Mister A but is actually one of Mr. A's soldiers who is plotting secretly with Lucille to kill uh, Andres. And for some reason or another, he comes in and has his way with Felice, but it's Esther. Wait. Yeah. Help me out here. Esther's Esther in the flashback us. now. Wait, no, Esther doesn't kill him. The mom kills him. The mom kills him, but Esther now appears in the flashback where she never did before. Yeah, because now I think we're looking at it from uh, Lucille's point of view. Okay, because before it was really just Esther's point of view. Yeah. Thought she was Felice. Yeah. <laughs> No, but it's, see, like, it's like, just like, like the whole thing is like, <laughs> what the fuck is happening? Here's the question. And, and I have to bring this up again. I, and I know that I brought this up several times already, but is this so complicated that it, it's genius or is no. it just, is it just totally stupid? It's like, complicated to make it complicated because <laughs> All the clues we're given are not right. <laughs> like we saw 
Felice chopped this guy's head off like 30 fucking times. Right. That never even happened. But that was her version of of history. Yeah. Okay. But that ruins my point from earlier saying that was just Esther watching it happen. Because if Esther watched it happen, right, then she would have seen Lucille kill him. Do you see what I'm saying? So right. like we're we're expected to believe that like three to four different people are all having the exact same delusion. Okay. So that that's just bonkers. Yeah, but like, maybe like as, as the Esther character who thinks she's Felice has been told over the course of her lifetime, or at least last 13 years, in and out of psychosis, that she was the one who killed him. And so yeah. when you combine... But even Colin believes it. It shows Colin running into the room. Yeah. The when same you, time. Yeah. But we don't know if Colin believes it, or is it just that Felice slash Esther remembers Colin as part of the memory. Like, well, no, other... I think Colin believes it because Colin was about to shoot himself in the head if Lucille didn't tell him all the truth. Yeah. Well, because he was even younger than yeah. Esther at the time. So, or Felice at the time. Yeah. So. All right. So, so anyway, we finally get the, the real flashback this time. And if we, if we're going back again to the idea of, um, how did this film really start to establish some of the tropes? Here's another one where it's basically like, um, well, here's the scene. We're going to show it to you. We're going to show it to you again. We're going to show it to you a third, fourth, fifth time. And now we're going to show it to you with what really happened. And yeah. that gets done a lot in all of these jolly, including yeah. bird. So yeah. I don't know if Argento saw this film and said, let me, let me take this trope and not trope, but let me take this device and turn it in into something in my film or vice versa. Or maybe it's neither. Maybe both of these filmmakers had the same idea because that was what was trendy at the time. And I wonder um, what was on TV at this time in Italy. I, I know that many people didn't have TV, so that might not be like a good thing to compare it to. Yeah, well, a lot of people didn't because, like, that's the whole reason why they went to the cinema in the first place, right? Because yeah, 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 because there was, you know, only the bourgeois and the aristocrats had the TVs, and the and the working class they couldn't well, afford Argento them. Gento would have had a TV because he was very he bourgeois. Yes, he His definitely would have. Daddy. Yes, he definitely would have had um, Just a quick side note. When you look at um, Lucille and Derek standing next to the vase with Antoine's head in it, Antoine's head is about three times the size of a normal person's head. Yes. And it's <laughs> shocking. <laughs> like, he had to have been like 12 feet tall if that was his real head. Like... That's the worst fake head I've ever seen. Absolutely. The, just the size of it. But there but but this movie wins the award for the most um the the, the 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 most number of really badly created fake heads 
I mean, fake heads, ridiculous flashbacks that aren't real, um, full frontal nudity of people running to the gas chamber. <laughs> um, there's all yeah. sorts of stuff. And like the scene where she runs into the bathroom, because after she's been found out, she goes into the bathroom to take the cyanide capsules herself. And there's like this red and green light and it's almost like pulsating. It's very much like you would see Martino do or something like that. And like right. all the colors of the dark or something like that. Yes. Which I'm sure that was also what Bava had done before with Blood and Black Lace. So um, yeah. I'll not give this film any credit. <laughs> But it is weird. There are some interesting colors that they use in the bathroom. And because we are in these times of COVID, I did want to to make mention that when Colin comes into the bathroom to try and rescue his mother from the cyanide poisoning, but of course it's too late, he takes a napkin or a tissue or a cloth and puts it in his mouth so that he doesn't breathe in the fumes however he doesn't cover his nose and i don't know about the i don't know about you but this is basically the big problem with the people who try to wear masks in public these days which is they 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 put it around their chin and they don't put it around their nose so exactly um, it's (laughs) it 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 reminded me of this whole thing Um, He, he was the first he was the first one to be a mask uh be incomplete non-compliant with the way that he, the he was... is the china virus <laughs> he is patient zero <laughs> but, um okay okay but anyway you think we're done we're not because guess what happens next the cops <laughs> show up because of course they do the cops and then we up. find out that mr ray isn't mr ray at all but he's Derek, the inspector, and this Correct. case is finally closed. Yes. And the real Mr. A died in prison. Three years ago. Right. And then he's like, oh yeah, sorry I completely turned your life upside down, but you'll be happy here all alone and fucking miserable. Yeah, now that all of the wackos have been brought to jail, and you have inherited this castle, and the one living vulture of Sia... <laughs> have a nice life <laughs> i mean dude it's it's the most gorgeous like place to live right i mean it's on the cliff with this ocean and everything i would i would love to live there but i don't know if i could handle i would burn half the stuff in the house <laughs> at least <laughs> well i have something in my notes here okay um Lucille kills herself in the bathroom with cyanide. The cops arrive. Derek is really an inspector. Uh, The real Andre died in prison. Okay. But how did Andre get caught? I wrote down. Because the whole idea was that... He just got picked up somewhere. Like he was on the run. Okay. Lucille... Come to the house and fucking like taking it over... That's what they do here. Like if like a crime boss goes to jail, they take his assets. But so did Lucille know this? No. Okay. Well, of course not, because she's because she's convinced that the guy who's 
who's pretending to be Andre, whose name is Derek, is actually Andre, but he really he's a cop. Yeah. So she went along with the idea that he was going to go into hiding and sent his boat off into the water and pretended that, you know, he went out into the water and never came back and had a funeral at sea. Yeah, if um, I were her, I would be shitting my pants every day of my life thinking Andre's going to come and kill me. Right. Because as far as she knows, he just got away. He got away. But, yeah, so, yeah. Okay, how did he get away and how did he get caught is the question. But we don't get those answers. Esther and Colin go to jail. Um, and like you said, they really don't pres- they don't produce any evidence to the fact that Esther is a murderer and that Colin is a murderer. Um, they just take everybody to jail. And maybe that's just like guilt by association. Let's take everybody to jail. We'll figure it out later. Um, and then we're left with Feliz, the real Feliz, the blonde, who still looks like she's a little half touched at the estate. And that's the end. She's left behind. We've gotten rid of all the bad guys for you. And now here you are. This is yours. And, like, uh, we, know, we know you don't know how to even butter toast, but <laughs> you have this house now. Try not to fucking die. Well, and it's I, funny, because he says, he's like, yeah, uh, the father, Andre, his dying wish was that I look after the daughter. Here you go. Run around. Mm. Like, no fucking logic to this end at all. Yeah. Like, so, the less we think about it, the better. The better. But um, here's the real question. The question is, was this entertaining enough for you to say, I like this film, and in whatever circumstance would be the right circumstance, I would watch this again? I have watched it um, four times now. (laughs) Um, And I would probably watch it again as soon as we get off of this. Like... It's fucking ridiculous. And I feel like it's one of those movies that we're either going to, every time we watch it, we'll either find something new to make it make sense or find a bigger plot hole that <laughs> makes the whole thing fucking bullshit. But right. it's, it's worth the watch. Like, right. I can't believe how many times I've watched this movie. Well, I think the reason why you and I have both watched it, you know, multiple times now is because it's not slow. If anything, it's it, it's it, the pace is really well done. Like they they're they you know of course the scenes with uh, Pascal get a little bit you know uh, you know elongated to the point where you're like okay I'm running out of patience here. But once you get to that third act, you know the first act with the two guys that show up and all the weird shit that happens and you just That's, it, it, the first act to me dragged a little bit. But I think it was just because I didn't know what the fuck was going on. The third act is a fucking roller coaster. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't really like the part with Pascal that much because I don't really, I don't like watching him uh, as the the guy who's kind of commanding 
the scene, you know, um, for whatever reason. But yeah, I think that's probably part of the reason why, you know, this is, this is a, a film that you could watch over and over because it's just, it's stupid and wacky and, um, but it's not the same kind like, you know, if you watch, um, Orgasmo, for example, which I haven't, I know we talked about this a couple episodes ago and I bought the, the Blu-ray re-release that they put out of all these Lindsay, Carol Baker's Yali. I haven't watched it at all. Oh, and I'm so fucking jealous, dude. I, like, I, that's amazing. I don't know like, why I haven't, I haven't watched it. Um, at least I, for like whatever bonus shits on it. Well, I don't know that there's much. Some of it, the bonus is really just trailers, but it may just it may be interesting for the commentary. I think there's some commentary there that I have to go back and watch. But, um, like I maybe I need another viewing of Orgasmo. But from what I remember, there's so much going on. Like, like, th- like the whole idea that the whole movie takes place in one location and it's with three or four or five characters. And all this stuff goes on, um, you know, later in the eighties and nineties, that whole idea was kind of, um, repurposed as, um, there's people being taken hostage and the whole episode is about what happens or the whole movie is about what happens when people are in this one location. Yeah. Yeah. But back, I I feel like if this movie was made today, it would be made like memento. Like mm-hmm. this movie would have to be played backwards mm. because I don't know necessarily, but like to like Orgasmo's romper room compared to this, like I just when the reason I bring up Orgasmo is because there are certain aspects of of this film and Orgasmo that are similar, yeah, and it's because of this the thing that you mentioned before, which is we're gonna make these scenes that kind of freak out the squares, but. Um, it it goes on for too long in Orgasmo, and there's too many of them. Yeah, and in this movie they happen, um, but they they they're interspersed with all of the other plot weirdness, and they don't get elongated for too long, and you don't get bored with them for too long, and that's why I think this movie is better, or at least is more successful for for me than. Yeah the the Carol Baker Lindsay films, but I'm thinking specifically or of Orgasmo because I think the the second film, the So Sweet So Perverse, had a completely different vibe, and then the one after that was different too. So maybe I'm just thinking like they tapped into this idea. The one after that should have been the title of it. It's like <laughs> one on top of the other. <laughs> the one after that. Uh, well, yeah, one after one on top of the other, or perversion story, kind of has that same vibe too. That swinging sixties, yeah. late sixties vibe, um, and this in the folds of flesh kind of borrows from that. But it's it, almost like in nineteen seventy, everything matured. Yeah. It was. It's like when you hear about the hippies and they're like, "Yeah, don't trust anyone over thirty, man." You know, whatever. <laughs> like. When 1970 hit, all those filmmakers turned 30. And, like, now they're on the other side of the window looking in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and know? More mature. Just a little. Just a little bit, yeah. A little bit more mature. Not much. 
No. They're looking back and saying, you know, they're being retrospective about the, the whole idea. Yeah, the Manson family happened. Right. Ultimate happened. Um, it's like the end of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You know, like, they reached the high watermark, and now it's gone. Yeah, yeah. So, like, peace, love, and happiness is really just murder, sex, and drugs. Right, yeah. right. There, there's exactly the, the 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 idealism that is underlying that whole movement is now dissolute, like the it's dissolved, and now yeah. we see for what it really is. Yep, exactly. Dude, we are putting so much thought into this fucking movie. <laughs> it's funny. I was I was like, oh, I wonder if there's any reviews about this, and I looked up, and there was an article on um, Diabolique. And, like, the title of the article was, like, trying to make sense out of a nonsensical film. (laughs) (laughs) And all it did was, like, just explain everything that happened. And I'm like, well, nice try, but no. Yeah. But, yeah, like, um, the only thing thing I saw. Taking a part of this film. Like, this is it. This podcast is the end all be all. Yeah. You, you can't get any to... more fucking definitive on in the, <laughs> of the flesh than what we just went through for the last couple hours. I, 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 the only thing I, I can add to this is I saw something that said somebody referenced the fact that it would keep the psychoanalysts busy for decades to, to try to break through this film and, and figure out what was going on. And we kind of did most of that. So, yeah, and um, like now, if you find the guy who made this movie, he has like seven daughters chained in the basement. It's <laughs> like smoking cigars, going, "Huh, what?" <clears throat> well, if we if if we have a, a few more minutes, I did actually score this for the Jallo score. Oh, um, and it's weird, and you know maybe there's enough time that we can deal with debating some of the parts of the score yes yes definitely ambiguous so we know that the director is is an italian director was born in piedmont italy so we know that um there's a there's a criteria called hidden identity and and in the later jolly it's much easier to establish hey you know here's there's a killer we don't know who he is and we find out who he is at the end in this movie what the fuck i'm gonna give it Hell yeah. The points for that, because really it's Lucille who, you know, kind of is identified as the person who's holding all these secrets. Yeah. Um, five points for the movie coming out during the classic period, which is 70 to 75. Um, the motivation of the killer. And we're, we're, we're saying Lucille is the killer. And we're saying her motivation is monetary gain because yeah. she's with Antoine, whatever. Okay. So there's points for that. The body count is at least three or more. We got that one. Uh, there's at least three. There was. There's at least one flashback. Huh, we had that. Um, now here's the one that's up for debate. Okay, mistaken identity. When I created the mistaken identity, uh, and just a, a quick aside for those of you who are listening to this who have no idea what I'm talking about, I used to run a website called the Jallo Score, and if you go back to episode four of the podcast volume one i think it's case of the bloody iris was the film we covered 
I go into a lengthy kind of dissertation of what the Giallo score is all about. But basically, it's assigning points to the tropes and then looking at which films have higher scores versus lower scores and then thinking about whether or not those films are better than the others versus that they just adhere to the tropes but not necessarily are good films. And I had the website out for a while. I took it down after some French or Chinese pornographer took it over. <laughs> and uh, I, haven't really looked, I haven't really looked back because it's been a while. And I, I realized that life is, is more uh, a gray area than just points yeah. and black and white. I don't know, dude. I like statistics. Uh, yeah, no, no, it's true. I guess maybe you know because I've been living it for so long, it, it, it it's it's novelty wore off. But anyway, let's go back to it. I'm 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 awarding points for certain things that happen in the film. So during the course of the identity, film, during the course of the film, the police identify the wrong person, and the remaining characters are falsely led to believe that the thread of death has passed due to the capture or death of the suspect. Now that never happens in this one. However. If you want to just take the words mistaken identity and say, hey, well, we thought that it was Esther, but we thought it was Felice and we thought it was Colin and we thought it was I could give it the points just because there are so many people in this thing and you don't know who it is. But really, it doesn't adhere to the specifics of this trope. So I don't think that the film should get those points. Well, if you look at it like that, um homeboy Derek said he was Mr. A but Mr. A was dead no I see what you mean I see what you mean okay yeah it's just it's just unfortunately so specific to what becomes normal in the jolly that that follow this film all right so more than one killer or an accomplice we got that one a nude scene for sure uh, more than uh, three or more suspects. Yes, we got that. Okay. So then we go into the signatures where we get one point per. per. Okay. Um, an airplane taking off or landing. Got that one. Yeah. Um, uh, an animal, a number, or a color, or the word death in the title. Nope. Um, is there a funeral that's being attended? Yes, absolutely. The funeral, the burial at sea with the boat. We're going to give them the point for that. Is there a bathtub murder? Absolutely. There's a bathtub murder. Amazing. <laughs> and maybe the best bathtub murder of all jolly dumps, right? I mean, ben, B- blood and black lace, the strangle strangulation in the I bathtub. Love that awesome. one. I really do love that one. But this one, dude, the fucking big fat bastard in the it's tub. like, for your killer like with the guys running the bath and he's like in his underwear with his sex doll <laughs> with the uh, blow-up doll right exactly yeah, yeah yeah um can we give a point for a comic relief character and i'm specifically thinking of pascal as the comic relief character uh yeah he tries to be kind of douchey yeah okay I mean, even though like, like a comic relief character by my definition is, isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily know in the narrative that he's the comic relief. It just, yeah. He acts, you know? Yeah. So, um, nobody falls from, from nobody dies from falling. There are no dolls or dummies or gay or lesbian. There are dolls in this. 
There are dolls in the asylum. There's that girl combing all the hair on all the. Oh shit! Okay, good, good looking out. Okay, <laughs> I'm glad that you mentioned that because I wouldn't have remembered. Um, no gay or lesbian stuff going on. It's all hetero. It might be incestual, but it's all hetero. Um, the ar- the amateur detective is not a citizen of the country where the murders are taking place. Okay, he's a foreigner. Eh, I don't, give a, I don't think so. Yeah, there's a J and B bottle, of course. Um, there's an odd clue. A clue to the murder's identity is hidden within or associated with a piece of art or jewelry. All right, how about the chrysanthemums? Can we give them a point for that? I think you could do that. You can do the swing set. That's not really art. Um, that doesn't really make sense, actually, now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> well, because, like, she was... Um, oh, wait, no. Well, it was a murder weapon. I don't know if that's necessarily a clue. Like, the hang, the swords hanging. Right. Um, yeah. No, I think that the only clue is the fact that we have this flower pot with these chrysanthemums, which... Yeah, I don't know. Has a well, I mean, there's a clue in there. There's a fucking head, right? But is it an odd clue? Is it odd enough? Every fucking thing in this movie's odd. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Nothing in this You're movie right. is subtle. <laughs> okay, uh, there's no pathologist. There's no peeping tom. Yes, there is. Well, I mean, do you he think spies? That... He's he spies on him when she's in bed with a dude. He spying on Pascal in the bathtub. Uh, yeah, okay, you're right. You're right. I will give the point for that. There's there's photography or art or glamour or modeling or whatever. Yep. Um, there's no there's no priest. There's no pseudoscience. There is a priest in the bath or the when the boat's being pulled in. Oh. Well, I don't think that counts, though. That's you get the point for the funeral attending a funeral. (laughs) That for the for the for the priest too. Come on, okay. Too much. Was there any spiral stairs in this movie? Because I don't don't think so. I don't even think I saw stairs. I don't either. I think the whole thing, despite the fact that it was a castle. Yeah. What the fuck? They never ascended or descended anywhere. Yeah. (laughs) Um, there's no psychologist. Um, yeah, there is. Who's the psychologist? Oh, yeah, the I guess. Psychologist, the doctor. Yeah. Comes back with him. But see, in in Jalo's score, the psychologist has a specific purpose, which is to um, explain explain why the killer did what he did. Or she did. So I'm going to not... I'm going to leave did that. Did she explain... Or, but that was the cop that did all the explaining. Yeah. And there's no amateur detective because they're all police officers. So, yeah, true, uh, true, true, that, true, that. No, spir- no spiral stairs, uh, no phone calls with the taunting. No. Yeah. What was the phone call with the taunting? The phone rings and the mo- uh, Lucille was going to answer it. Colin answers it. And he's like, I'm going to be over there in a minute or something like that. And he's like, don't ever call here again. And he mm. slams the phone down. But that's not, he's not the killer though. Who was it? I don't even know who fucking called. I thought that was oh, Pascal. It was Pascal. 
Yeah. I thought that was Pascal. He's not it's the so killer. sad that Pascal is a victim in this movie and not a killer. He's a rapist. <laughs> he's a kidnapper. But he's not the killer. But he's not the killer, right? Oh, Jesus Again, fucking Christ. Is it genius Christ. or is it, sil- is it just plain silly? Um, okay. So I'm going to give um, visual, visual misinterpretation. Is definitely. A, definitely a point for that. Okay. So let's add this up. 10, 20, 25, 30, uh, 34, 37, 39, uh, 43, 46, 50, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, 60. So that's its Jallo score is 60. Wow. Because and um, it didn't they, get points for music. No, no, definitely. No. So that was yeah. the worst part of the film actually um it didn't get points for black gloves it didn't get points for amateur detective those are huge yeah Uh, it didn't get points for let's see what else um avoid capture because they all get captured. yeah they all get captured. well no she killed herself Ooh, 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 that changes everything. <laughs> Holy shit. That's right. You're right. It's not because uh, Lucille, she kills herself. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, no, no. That that puts it up by 10 extra points. Holy oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> now we're at 70. Avoid capture. Hold on. I'm going to write that down. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm so glad that we went through this with you thinking about it because it's just crazy. Cause when I was watching it, I was like, when it started, I was like, Oh my God, this movie is going to be so not what I'm into. Like this <laughs> isn't like what I look for. Right. And then it was just like one after another, all these little things. Yeah. yeah, yeah and I was exactly. just like, and then I was like, dude, did Chris score this thing? Because this is bonkers. Like, I, it was like, ah. I don't think I ever put it on the Jalo score. I wonder how, nope. what the highest pre-1970 score was. Pre-1970. Well, I can go back and look. Um, I don't have all of the data right now. Oh, that's okay. We could, well, let's talk about that next time. Cause that's like, I'm super interested now. So the question is, what is the highest score for Jolly pre 1970? Yeah. Because 1970, we're talking about bird with crystal plumage and, you know, bird with the crystal plumage is like a 90 something or other based on. Yeah. The- and like deep reds, 95, right? Right. Right, and that's that's because Argento knew what to do and just did yeah. it again, you know. Um, but I think the score is important because, like, even though I gave you shit because it was like I'm like you just base this off of Argento movies, <laughs> you know. Like I gave you shit for that, and that's fucked up on my part because <laughs> when people come in to Jalo films, they usually come in because of Argento. Right. So obviously, like them wanting to see stuff that's like what brought them in in the first place makes fucking sense. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm very so, glad that you're finally, after how many freaking decades? Well, 
decided. Like, I, I'm right, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> I feel bad for saying shit because <laughs> it's, it might not be made for me. It might be made for people who come into Jalo going, what should I watch next? Right. Let's not forget about the fact that Bird with the Crystal Plumage was a way more successful monetarily than any of these other movies. And so if you're going to... Well, I if, just assume it's because his dad was who his dad was. Whatever it is. I mean, if you're going to imitate success, you're going, you know, th- that yeah. was the idea, right? You're going to imitate yeah. success. Uh, so that's the end of that. So, uh, right. Good movie. I, again, I would watch it again. I'm it's shocked. Awesome. I am shocked to shit that this movie's good. <laughs> shocked. <laughs> That's what's great about these movies. It, is it that. took me like seriously 45 minutes before I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I'm digging this movie. This is this is a good movie." Well, yeah, it sneaks up on you. It doesn't happen at once, dude. Like you, you when you guys watch this, you're going to be watching it going, why am I fucking watching this movie? Right. And then it'll hit you. And then you'll be like, oh, my God, that's why. Speaking of, what's our next movie? So I think it's a film with the word death in it. I can't remember which one it is. And of course, Hatchet for the Honeymoon is another one. And we haven't decided on which one to do yet. It's either Death Occurred Last Night. I I think think that's correct. I think that might be it. Um, Because there's also Death Carries a Cane and Death is not that. Minor. minor. Um, And. Besides death, besides a death occurred last night and in the folds of the flesh and hatchet for honeymoon. I think the only other one was your sweet body to kill. Okay. Okay. Well, either way, hatchet for the honeymoon um, or death occurred last night. Like I'm good. Yes. So I think those are the last three for 1970, because if you go back to our old podcast, we covered the rest of them. Yeah, um, and then I, you know, if we have time, we'll go back and talk about Bird again, um, which I would love to do. I could do that. Okay, good. Anytime. Yeah. Well, this has been fun. It's been uh, uh, an extend. You know, I may edit this down, but I doubt that it'll be shorter, like three hours. It's just crazy. Um, <laughs> remind everybody that we are on Facebook at Jalo uh, Chow Chow Volume Two. It's a private group. Just uh, go over there and uh, request access. We'll let you in as soon as possible. We also have an email address if you feel like sending us an email. So far, I have not gotten a single one, but that's okay. Um, there's always room for improvement. It's What's the Jal- email address? Uh, oh, it's, you were about to say it. Sorry. Yeah, it's jallochowchow at gmail.com. So, and just remember that jallo is spelled G-I-A-L-L-O. And Chow is spelled C-I-A-O. So two of those together at gmail.com. And uh, so those are the two places to get in touch with us and let us know what you're thinking about. Um, if you've got some suggestions for the show, 
um, if you like the idea that we do scene by scene. What I've gotten, Matt, over the last three months is that I've gotten more people saying, yes, we like scene by scene. And not very many people seeing. No, it's it's boring. It's Dude, too. I think scene by scene's amazing. Like, I don't care what anybody says. This is our show. We can do whatever <laughs> we want. So, yeah, scene well, by it, scene is good. I'm, and I'm and as you can and as you can tell from the way that we do our discussion, we do scene by scene, but we we jump away from the scene by scene often. As often. we. <laughs> As we talk about it, so, um, but yeah, all right. Well, that was cool. fun. Okay, Maybe. until next time, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao, everybody. Is that what I normally say? Yeah. Until next time. Ciao, ciao. Yeah. <laughs> normally say.